You know, his name was James Matthew Trevor. My wife was six months pregnant at the time. We had no name for my son. So he saved my life and, and I named my son after him. In today's episode, we welcome our friend Joe Serna, a retired Army Green Beret who has cheated death on multiple occasions, from an IED explosion to drowning in a rolled over truck to being blown up by a hand grenade. Joe has survived it all. We not only talk about these experiences, but learn more about his transition and where life has taken him outside of his eventful military career. Real stories, real heroes for a real cause. This is Never Left Behind, the podcast. <laughs> Joe, it's nice to have you, man. Thanks for joining us, for making the drive. We actually have you in the studio. You're one of the first guests that we've had in the studio no, for the podcast. Not one of the first guests. The first the guest. The first guest. And my numero uno. Numero, numero uno. uno. Dude, this is awesome. Thank yeah. you guys for having me. Of course, yeah. man. And uh, I think it's cool because... It just sucks with COVID. You know, everyone lives in different states, so everyone has been going through Zoom calls, and it's been great, but it's nice to actually have a face in here to be talking to and all that. So welcome. We're happy thank, to have you. Thank you. I really appreciate you guys having me here. Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, so, you know, we, we, wanted to, we wanted to go from the beginning, go from the back, like all the way prior to service, kind of trying to figure out, you know, what makes you tick? What made you the person you are? Because I know a lot of uh, a lot of your your whole life has been about family yeah. and a lot of family structure. And I know you grew up in the in the, the California area. Me and Bo are both from Southern California. Mm -hmm. So kind of if you could talk a little bit about your upbringing and. Yeah, absolutely. Of, yeah. Absolutely. So um, first of all, you know, I, when I joined the military, it, it I was the first generation. Um, uh, of males to join the military, uh, I came. I was at. I was a second generation out of a big movement back in the sixties and seventies. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't. It it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, it was frowned upon for me to join the military because it was at the time everything was like my father grew up in the fields. Mm -hmm. uh, his his brothers and sisters they grew up in the fields, so they had um, they had a big task. And my, my dad would tell me, he would say, son, when I was nine years old, it was embarrassing to go to school to smell like onions. Mm. Because the next day, for, for, the, for, for, you know, for them, it was you come home, instead of doing homework, you're going to go to the fields and work to bring back money, mm -hmm. income for the family. You know, so so I grew up in that. I grew up in the second generation of that. Mm. And, and at the time, it was... Cesar Chavez, Martin Luther King, all that movement was going on. Mm -hmm. I wasn't around for that, for that, but my my family was. So it was. So when I joined, it was about it was about it wasn't about the system then. Mm -hmm. They were saying, you know, it's not a good thing to join the military. It's not enjoy. You know, you don't don't go to law enforcement. Don't anything with the government. All we are is like my dad when he was five years old. Uh, he's seen his father get shot by the cops. Mm -hmm. And so it paralyzed Jeez. the rest of his life. That's that's kind of the mindset. Mm -hmm. So when my dad was coming home from um, middle school, my grandfather was in the back of this house 
Billy Molotov cocktails. Wow. Saying, hey, son, what you're going to do is you're going to go to school today and you're going to throw these Molotov cocktails through the building, burn a library down. So that's kind of that's kind of the upbringing I came up with. Oh, wow. Damn. So when I joined the military, it was kind of like, hey, man, it's frowned upon because now you're part of the system, not part of the, you know, part of the solution. Mm -hmm. But it was, it wasn't, it wasn't a, um, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a healthy thought process. Mm -hmm. It was just how, it was just the upbringing that we came up in, which it doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Yeah. It's just that I, I chose, I made a decision at my age with my family to join the military, but it, it doesn't make it, 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 they, my family didn't support, most of my family didn't support the decision for me joining the military. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did it, like over time, and especially because you had a lengthy career, did anybody ever like start coming around and realize kind of, especially after 9-11, like did they start coming around and realizing kind of the impact of you being in service was um, to yeah. them, but then also to the country? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I mean, I, that's just just an initial. When I when I say that my family didn't accept, wasn't accepted, that was just initial. Mm. That's that hesitation. I think that's pretty normal. And it then was, once yeah. you're in, it's like, all right, well, we're going to support you now. Now that you're yeah. in, yeah. And, and then once they've seen that what I was doing, and and uh, after especially after nine eleven, um, all the um, the sacrifices that we were making. Mm -hmm. They realize they they now now my family we have doctors we have lawyers we have cops we have wow. police officers so we've we've grown mm -hmm. a, as a family it 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 was just that initial like hey you take that step forward and um, and do something different but yes after time they 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 accept it yeah what my decision to it, them is your uh, was your father first generation Mexican yeah. He was, yeah. I mean, he, yeah, he was. So you're second. So your grandparents are from Mexico. Yeah. Gotcha. He was first okay. Generation, yeah. So, so I was second. That's awesome. That's that's probably the the impact there. Mm -hmm. it is, Still very traditional then. Yeah. Very yeah. traditional. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. I I find that it's pretty common too with a lot of people that immigrate the first time, right? The first generation. You often want to see either one of two things: your kids to support the business and be basically follow right in your footsteps, mm -hmm. or it's always the opposite where it's like you need to be excellent in school and be better than I ever was and outperform everybody else and that's the expectation you have so yes. I can imagine it was it was one of those two or a mix of both yeah it was it was it was a super high expectation yeah um it, it was it was two things you're gonna you're gonna exceed in life which which that's kind of kind of expectations but the, the important thing was that that you're gonna if you have a family when you're young, mm. there's no there's no more education. You're mm -hmm. you're gonna you're, you're going to work, and you're gonna support your family. Yeah, and that was kind of like our high expectation yeah. is to is to raise the family and and uh, and and I don't think uh, I think now we look further than that for our kids. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's kind of the thing that we were going off of. What made you decide to enlist uh, into the army? So, uh, I was I was a kid having a kid. I was just a, I was just a, a young teenager, and I had my first my first my first baby. And uh, 
I couldn't, uh, honestly, I couldn't even find work. I could mm -hmm. find work, but nothing fulfilling, nothing that can that can uh, support my family for the in the you know long run. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, I just uh, so happened to walk. It, it was a paycheck. I walked by a recruiter, and they sold me on um, you know the benefits and everything else. So, wow. And I know you know you joined initially just in the regular army, right? What uh, what MOS was that? At thirteen Bravo. Field mm. artillery. Field Okay. Yeah. yeah. How, long, how long were you doing that for? About five years. Okay. Yeah. And um, that was when, I guess, when was this around 9-11? So I joined in 95. Mm -hmm. And I did uh, I did five years and I wasn't happy. I was getting out. Every 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 time my contract was up, mm -hmm. every three years, when it, when it was time to renew my contract, I, uh, my wife was like, then my wife was like, Hey, um, it's, we still need any income. Mm -hmm. So I would reenlist. And so on my second reenlistment, uh, this summer before nine 11, I, um, uh, I reenlisted for the same MOS, but this time I dropped my packet for special forces. Okay. And this was before nine 11. Yeah. Yeah. So what inspired you then to volunteer for the Q course? So, oh, that's a good question. So, you know, and it's kind of funny because it was, um, you know, as a kid, his childhood dream, I seen Rambo on TV. Mm. And I know Classic, he was, yeah. I know he was, <laughs> I, I, I know, but no, I, I, I that's, that's what inspired me. Mm -hmm. when I was playing G.I. Joe by myself in the fields and stuff like that. I remember Rambo and I remember hearing the, the, the term Green Berets. Mm. Yeah. So, you know. And that's the only thing I knew about Green Berets before I even dropped my selection packet. Yeah. Was, was Green Berets. Yeah, know, for sure. I remember uh, that's kind of like, I mean, it was similar to you, but like growing up out in the desert, it's like I remember being that kid running around with yeah. sticks, like guns and throwing. <laughs> exactly, like, right? We, we had these things called like dirt clods, which are just compact this is mud. dirt and mud. Yeah. yeah. And we would just throw them at each other like they were grenades. <laughs> and you'd come home all dirty, just covered in dirt, had to tell. Yeah. That, that's where I started. That was the shit, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> No, we uh yeah, as kids we were we were idiots. We uh we would run around and <laughs> we were. Like, I mean that's true, we still are probably to to many uh regards. <laughs> but uh we were idiots, man. We would you know, growing up, I think uh my my grandpa had a BB gun or something, so we would go shoot. Dude, but isn't that the, the best time though oh, in absolutely. the desert, dude? Dude, you had a Nothing full rain, like it was it was a huge playground for us, right? You have all mm -hmm. this dirt, you have all this like outdoor things to go, you know, play in and see and like our parents I'm so thankful that, you know, I grew up with, you know, with my parents who were just, honestly, I think at the eight, as young as like five, four or five years old, they just let me go and they just let me yeah. go do whatever. They do it in the middle of the desert, right? Yeah. Joel, yes. have, you, have you ever Didn't played care. paintball? Oh man, I got so lit up in paintball. Man, we had, <laughs> I a, we had like a course. Paintballs anymore. <laughs> we had a, uh, we had a course right next to my house. Yeah. Like technically, like you walk out the front door and there was an open plot of land, probably, I don't know. 10, 15 acres of desert. Yeah. And we would dig like foxholes and make, and then put army nets over and make like a whole paintball course. Did you guys get like the airsoft, the air, uh, yeah, CO2 the, yeah, like CO2 yeah, all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. We, we got really into it for a while. <laughs> there. Like we were just digging fighting positions all over the place. And you could get fancy with those guns. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, we weren't. I wasn't 
That's like you, you, you had a pretty good gun, but I always like had some cheapo because I didn't have enough money. You had the throwaway gun. I had a Titman A5. Titman, I had a Titman too. Yeah. If anybody listens to this and knows paintball, they're like, oh, the fucking Titman. That was the shit. Dude, you know how to be the biggest asshole in that one? Is throw your paintballs in a freezer. Oh, Oh, that's true. I I know some guys used to play with marbles. Yeah. Oh, dude, that's, brutal. So, that's so wrong. No, it'd make yeah. people bleed. Put like big old welts in you and stuff. <laughs> yeah, but that's terrible. I, I remember uh Dude, what are you gonna do with paint? You do marbles is like it's not gonna it's not gonna it's not gonna bounce. Or, or the red hots, like the little like jawbreakers. People dude, would use you're giving those. too much information on oh, man. Yeah. There's gonna be kids Some like kids are gonna be windows. listening to this and be like, Oh yeah, I know what I'm doing with my buddies next time. Dude, I never thought about the I'm marbles. You're responsible dude. for like a fucking assisted homicide. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Um, so you uh, you joined uh, uh, the Q, you started the Q course. Um, you made your way through that. Um, what? Because uh, I know there's several several um, positions you can choose within a team. Um, so I guess what did you choose? What? What? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I I didn't I thought man maybe because there's so many like there was like a the weapon sergeant the mm-hmm. engineer. Um, medical 18 echo i didn't know i was going to start from the top and then if i fail i go down to the bottom mm-hmm. so i started off with the 18 i, I started off with communications uh-huh. and um during the time and we're still talking about uh and this is kind of how old i am but we're talking about vietnam type tactics so i'm still doing mortis code Mm-hmm. Like dee 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 kind of thing. I'm I'm like okay, can I pass this? And at the time, that was kind of like the gate for every special forces communication sergeant was to pass code. We call mm-hmm. it Morse code. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I chose it, not knowing I was going to get into. It. I, I I'm probably the suckiest combo guy alive. <laughs> I hate combo, dude. I won't even talk on the radio. I'm like, dude, the phone rings. I'm hanging up. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> Dude, I can I I give it up to all the the combo guys too, because man, the radios that you always had to hump, like those things are just they look bulky so as heavy. hell too. So I mean, heavy. I mean, I think it was more just the batteries itself yeah. that weighed yeah. that weighed so much. That makes sense. Yeah, but I, I as a, as a as a as a devious combo guy, I always spread that stuff out. Uh-huh. I was like, hey guys, I got some batteries for you guys to carry, and they're like, okay, I'm like, okay, take it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> no so, that's awesome uh, luckily you know I, I i'm guessing um so you started out as a what is it again 18 echo 18 echo and mm-hmm. then did you carry that all the way through your time yeah uh, through communication so in, in communication in um well in special forces we have uh you have your primary job your primary mos but you also have additional duties mm-hmm. so i picked up um i picked up some other things that i carry with me and um uh you know I, without getting too much into details but I, I it was uh it was source handling and stuff like that mm-hmm. you know we, we have we have uh additional schools we can go to yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's great yeah i uh and so you you saw the transition too because i know even when i was in in 2006 from 2006 till i got out dude things got so much better like yeah, all sure. the equipment and everything got so much better. So I'm sure as a combo guy, you saw the old man. I don't even remember what they're called, but they were the size of a two, like yeah. almost like an old yeah, VCR. Yeah, Singar. They were uh, dude bigger than that. Really? Um, yeah. yeah really like huge. Uh, really huge. 
I'm in, I'm even trying to think of like something in comparison of it. Like, I think it's almost like a gas can, like those traditional like yeah, okay, military yeah, gas yep. cans, the small rectangle metal ones. Yep, yep. A lot of the ones that people like still have on their Jeeps and stuff like yep. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, like it, it, was it was not man portable. You had to put it in your Jeep. Yeah. But somehow the army just put it in our backpacks. Yep. <laughs> yeah. They were like, they'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> they'll figure it out. These guys are knuckleheads. <laughs> That's so. awesome. Um, so uh yeah, within um, you know, within SF and everything, so you were with that for 14 years 14 years yeah. wow that's a long time to be there and uh i think you were at fort bragg right your whole time so yeah did you serve in 82nd your first five years or so, so I, I i spent time with the big red one yeah okay so i spent time with the big red one and then uh i went i went to selection and then then i i wasn't in 82nd so when i came to bragg it was for it was for um it was for special forces yeah yeah, I didn't. I didn't spend a time in the second. Gotcha. And then, um, so you said you were in the Q course, or you were in selection at some point when nine eleven happened, right? The month after. The month after. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So what? What was that like? Especially being in kind of the schoolhouse and knowing that you're still going through your whole selection process and everything. Well, that's that's a good question. You know, I, I and I didn't. I, I've never questioned myself, like when I was going through selection and during training and and um i in the back of my mind i knew 9 11 was going on mm -hmm. everything was going on the rangers have not yet jumped in mm -hmm. uh and if they did we didn't know about it but i knew that there was a bigger picture and i knew that it was something that internally i had to fulfill mm -hmm. but I, I i i wasn't man enough to say what it was i just said okay i gotta do my part and i was proud at that moment to be in selection to do my part whatever it was and we didn't know we didn't know oaf no if all those terms mm -hmm. we just knew that uh there was something going on and honestly man i couldn't even tell you what a um five years man i couldn't even tell you what a terrorist was because mm -hmm. we didn't know i didn't i didn't know because when i was going through it was all about cold war stuff yeah and it wasn't about it wasn't about uh global war on terror mm -hmm. So it was, it was, everything was new to me. So, so when I was going through selection or, and, um, I had no idea what I was signing up for. Yeah. None. How quick did you learn that? Fast. <laughs> <laughs> I learned the same. It was a, it was a, it was a super learning curve. <laughs> I, I've told the story on here, so I won't go too much into it, but I did the same thing when I joined. And I, I joined with an, uh, with a contract, um, like I, uh, what do they call it? Option 40. So that's when you join with a, with a Ranger contract mm -hmm. had no, I, I knew a little bit like Bo, honestly, like I, I got to credit him a lot, but I knew a little bit and I watched Black Hawk down and all these other things. And I was sure. like, all right, I know a little bit. I was obsessed. I had no idea, dude. I had no idea. And hey, I learned so fast. Did Bo push you? A little bit, yeah. When especially as soon as he found out that I enlisted, like I was going into the army, then it was like everything went into super speed, kind mm -hmm. of just like really absorbing fast. as much information as I could, like going on the military channel. Like YouTube wasn't even that big yet. I don't no. even know if it was. Oh, you were around super nerdy. It wasn't. Yeah. Even so I was just man. trying to soak in as much information as I could and just learn as much as I could, and I still had no idea what I was getting myself into. So you kind of went blindfold, mm -hmm. like like uh, yeah. I yeah. think you only knew because. I was kind of like, 
a military buff in a sense that I like memorized like weapon systems. And I knew that Rangers were like the badass guys from like Black Hawk Down and all that. Yeah. Knew about Delta and all that. And then I was telling Dan about Army Rangers. And I think not shortly after you were like, oh, I'm going through selection. Yeah. So Bo recruited like, oh, you. <laughs> not technically. <laughs> I mean, he he definitely like helped steer some decisions. But even like, even though he steered some decisions, Again, I still don't think either of us knew I what, didn't we know at all. what we were getting into at all. Yeah. Like, I, I had no idea. So. I just knew what they did from reading the books and the movies. I had no idea what the selection process is like or, you know, how much physical training and all that you have to go through for now, it. Now, that kind of sucks, though. The, 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 Ranger, the, the Ranger program, mm -hmm. I think it's Rasp or Rip when you went through. Yeah. It, it kind of it was I I, I wouldn't want to go through that. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was uh it was pretty brutal and you know I know for the Q course and going through initially like you guys hump for days like walking for days it was days a little bit, and days yeah. <laughs> so like that portion is a small portion but really for us it's it's much more about mental games it's like however much they can break down your body and then just fuck with your mind yeah that's what they sure. do. Mm -hmm. just over and over and over again you're talking about a ranger school yeah well in rip it just to get rid of you just like to figure out how to cut down and get rid of the mentally and physically weak now was rip was rip before you went to ranger battalion or is rip yeah. part of the just going to ranger school no so rip is the ranger indoctrination program to get selected to go to ranger regiment yeah and then once you're there for a little bit then if you kind of prove yourself there then you'll go to ranger school Oh, so it was okay. So you had to get into the battalion mm -hmm. before you can go to ranger school. Yeah, it's almost yeah. like a pre ranger, a pre ranger boot camp. thing. Yeah. Well, well, pre ranger is also part of that. So, what's funny See, is a boot camp of a boot camp. Yeah, Dude, that sucks. <laughs> so you go to Rip. You go to Ranger Battalion for a little bit. Then you go to pre ranger, which is back where Rip, like, is held. So you get all these flashbacks of what Ranger selection was while you're going through pre-Ranger and you're like, oh no, I'm back here again. <laughs> like, you're like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> They're like, did you like see the same people? You're like, oh my God. Yeah, some of the same people, some, some really? of the same, same cadre. Yeah. yeah, some of the same cadre there and stuff and... They're still figuring out how to how to mess with people and <laughs> they'll remember you too. Like I remember one of the guys, uh, everybody referred to him as Crazy Eddie because he was like, man, he he was a, he was a mad. You know, the, the hardest thing about a selection and I don't, and, and I don't know, um, it might be different for you, but I hate it rucking. Mm. Yeah. Rucking, putting 75 pounds or whatever you got to put in your back that. Yeah. and just walking. Yeah. Uh, like where am i going They're like don't go you're not going anywhere you just you're walking for miles and you don't have an end point and you're like oh man is this ever going to end was that like that in in uh rainer school so i definitely hated rucking but <laughs> this sounds really bad i i loved seeing other people suck <laughs> <laughs> so like i'm, I'm insane i was one of those guys that was like <laughs> That I would like be sucking with everybody in the beginning. I'd be starting to look around at the people that were dropping out, and I'd be like, you know what, I can go faster than these guys. And then I'd like start running or walking faster or whatever. Oh, you were the asshole. Yeah, I was that guy. <laughs> yeah, you were the asshole. Uh, but you've always been the one upper, though. Yeah, because you've always really been, back in school. With well, you? Dan's always been better at things than I have, so there was always a constant competition to where if I could do something that he could do, he would then do something that would outperform that. And then I would try and outperform it. And I would always like just kind of like ride by the coattails. Like I wouldn't be able to 
to get up to that level of certain things. You didn't even know that, Dan. You're looking at it like well, this is kind of a new thing. No, no, no it's definitely, it's it's not a new thing. It, it was like playing was pool, video games, skateboarding. It was stuff that like we were just overly competitive about. For sure. I, I, I honestly can't explain it at all, but I, I know like some people are just gifted with things and I don't mm -hmm. know why, but I have been gifted and lucky and even through combat and stuff like I can't count the number of times I've been lucky. Yeah, like, sure. I don't know what it is, but I mean, I've I've had luck on my side, and maybe it's a higher power or whatever you know you want to say it is. But um, I have been lucky my entire life, and knock on wood, you know the luck stays with me. But Stay with, yeah, yeah. Well, leading into that, that's perfect transition. I, man, you are probably one of the most indestructible people that i know like yeah now I, i'm starting to get to the, know them. <laughs> the the number of stories of close calls teetering literally teetering on life and death the amount of times that you've you know potentially even gone to the other side and come back mm -hmm. is is insane and uh you know i i do want to talk about some of them but you know we don't have to go into all of them if you don't want to but um you know, I, I just wanted to hit on some of them so, I, you know, we can just people can understand. Sure. One kind of the. The mindset, especially if somebody who gets injured multiple times and yeah. still wants to go back and like still wants to fight. Yeah. And uh, I think that's an important thing for people to realize mm -hmm. because it's it's this this drive and this passion to like continue to serve even when, you know either you're mentally not there or physically not there but regardless you're bound to your brothers and you want to be there there's something higher yeah mm -hmm. and so um if you want to start off uh with so yeah I'll, I'll, um and then we'll uh i think that's a uh a, a good part to start into you know because I, I don't want to go into my first injury mm -hmm. Mm -hmm if you know what, what we're talking about is i'll go into my second injury because i i stayed in i stayed to i stayed in combat after my second injury mm -hmm. and it was not by a command decision it was something i made mm -hmm. and um when i make that decision again I, I i don't know if you ever put me in that position i don't know if i'd make that decision but i know that my family was hurting when i said you know what I picked up the phone. I said, I'm not coming home after my second injury. I'm staying in country to mm -hmm. fight. And I don't know why I did it. Mm -hmm. I can say maybe there was uh, there was legal retribution. I can say there was something for that I got to take care of for my brothers. Mm -hmm. But I stayed in country for this. And, and so so getting into the, this in, the second yeah. injury, um, uh, we were tasked to go out and, and – um, one of my brothers had from another team had stepped on a anti-personnel mind and he had blown himself up he was killed and so from our look from their location to bring us back to his his remains to bring him back to kandahar which is one of the main hubs in afghanistan mm -hmm. we fly it you know, we fly out to the country. We fly back to, you know, Germany and all that stuff. So we were going to bring back his remains to fly him out. But in the process of of, of them bringing him back, uh, the vehicles that they were in, they got stuck in mud. Mm. So their vehicles are 60 tons. They couldn't get out of it. 
so they, they had tasked my team to to go out and uh, recover the recover the truck and the remains is that just because of the conditions out there like the roads are just washed out and it's yeah, just absolutely. shit yeah it's just yeah, a swamp it, hole and it, it rains and yeah you, you know it's, how it is it, it's Damn. dry majority of the time but when it does rain it pours and everything is just like this sticky yeah. nasty mud that's okay. just like your feet get stuck in and it's literally like you know slopping out of it yeah. it's it's nasty stuff and it's not made for heavy vehicles yeah right? okay it's not made it's made for more light wheel vehicles maybe dismounted stuff humvees to get through humvees to yeah. get through but it's not made for yeah big trucks to get through and so and that's what we were unfortunately that that's what we were in and it, it's not like we had a lot of time in it we had we didn't we had very limited practice in it we didn't really train in these in these vehicles mm -hmm. they just gave them to us when we were over there and they're like hey get used to them i said okay so that's kind of the thing we were in, and so we were we were going we were tasked to go get my boy, and um, in the process we started getting stuck ourselves, mm. and we can see where these guys were at. The other the other team was at. We could see where they were at, and uh, we just couldn't get to them because we kept getting stuck. Mm. And then once we realized that they were on the other side of the creek, we said, you know what? Let's just jump on the creek and follow it back. To the main road and then we'll wrap around the creek and go get them mm -hmm. and uh that was a great idea most of the so i was the third vehicle and um once we got our vehicles and stuck and back on the creek um we started on this dirt road back to the main road and there's not a lot of main roads in afghanistan there's like mm -hmm. one hardball road mm -hmm. you know that's highway one yeah other than that it's just dirt mm -hmm. not the infrastructure is not there it doesn't support it so we get back on this this creek and we start heading back and um and it's probably from my position it's probably less than maybe less than less than a mile to get back to the main road now the main road is a hardball road so we start heading back to the road and um the first trucks in front of us and we even had a tow truck called a wrecker mm. we had a wrecker in between us it's a tow truck we had to take the tow truck out there. Big ass tow so truck. So there was four vehicles, four vehicles. There was three SF vehicles, and then there was a tow truck. So we started heading back, and um, the road started giving away for our truck because because of the the ground just it didn't support the other trucks in front of us. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, my truck was the last truck, mm. and um, yeah, and so the truck the the uh, the road gave way, and uh, we started leaning. The truck started leaning to the left, and the truck, these trucks are uh, RG thirty ones are top heavy, and uh, start leaning to the left, and then it kind of it fell into the creek, and where we landed in the creek is probably the deepest infrastructure I've seen in Afghanistan. Hmm. There's no cement there. It's it's always it's always been a, a, a dirt aqueduct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyway. It fell into it fell into the deepest part that we the worst possible position that we can land in. That's mm -hmm. where we that's where we ended up. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now I don't know if you guys are gonna be you guys. I mean, if you want to keep going into it, uh, it's up to you though. You, I can summarize if you want. No, I I, I will tell the story. Okay, man. I can tell. That's the story. a pretty interesting story. All right, <clears throat> so. So we land into all, so we, um, 
I'm in the back of the vehicle and there's four of us. And uh, we all had, I had my seatbelt on, driver, TC. And between the TC and I, there's a, there's a third guy. And he's, he's, he's controlling the 50 cal that's on top, called it the crow. Uh, he was kind of free, so he wasn't, he was secured in the seatbelts. And so when the truck rolled over, he was the only one free. And at the time, I couldn't get to my seatbelt. Uh, the water started rising. And it eventually went over my head where I couldn't breathe anymore. I was underwater. And, uh. And this time the truck was on its side. So I so I stick my head out of the water, man. I'm like, man, I need help, bro. Because at this time I'm grabbing my gun, I'm grabbing my equipment, I'm not grabbing the seatbelt. And you guys are upside down. So you're like looking at the floor, right? Yeah. And you gotta remember this is um this is a this is two this is about one, two in the morning. Mm. So, so it's freezing so water. It's, it's freezing water, but it's pitch black. And the doors won't open because of the water? Well, the doors don't open. The doors only open. Well, you can open manually open the doors, mm -hmm. but the doors weigh six hundred pounds. Mm -hmm. Oh wow! So ninety percent of the time, if you can open the doors, it's off hydraulic systems. And if the door, and if the water, if the power sets off, you know that's 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 most your power to open them doors because mm -hmm. you're not going to open the doors. So the water just killed all the power then. Yeah, the there. water just killed the Jeez. power. So that's. That's kind of what happened to the power room. And, uh, and it got really bad after that. Um, you know, I don't know what the two guys are doing in front. And, you know, and, and I don't want to think about what the two guys were doing. Mm -hmm. But I know that the guy that was, you know, me and my friend, my friend and I, my friend is the one who opened my, took my seatbelt off. Mm -hmm. And, um, once he took the seatbelt off, he stood me up, and the truck rolled all the way over. So mm -hmm. it was topside now, and um, we were fighting for the doors. We were fighting for the hatch. Now, if you can think about this, the hatch is down by our feet now. Mm -hmm. It's not going to open up. Mm -hmm. And the you, doors, you gotta like dive underwater basically to yeah try to, and reach to the hatch it, yeah to open it up. Jeez. So the water starts rising. And it gets to my chest, and I'm still kind of thinking that we have hope. And and my friend and I, we're kind of tossing back this idea, like, hey, how's your family? How's my family? We're just keeping things light. Mm -hmm. We don't know how bad the situation is at this time. You know, once it gets to my neck, I'm like, man. And this time, I'm telling him, go find a flashlight now. I'm going to try to get the back door open. But there's no way the back door would open because when it flipped over, the stairs on the black door on the back door fell on the door. Uh, the the stairs literally came and locked us in. Oh man! Mm -hmm. Because it was you know it was just one of the, the stairs were kind of floating, and once it rolled over, the staircase locked us in. Mm -hmm. So there, there was no way out of that. It was situation. just trapped, basically. You know? We were just trapped. Yeah. And oh, um, uh, we were. We were there, man, and we were we gave it a good we gave it a good fight, man. And uh, you know, he would talk to me, and I'd talk to the guy, and we were just like, "Hey, man, you know, it's it'll be all right. Yeah, you know, nothing's gonna happen." And then I heard a a sound, man. There's a nasty ass sound. 
this sound was like the last sound you would ever want to hear. It was a bloop, 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 bloop. And I'm like, oh, what is that? And what it was, it was gas. Mm. So the fuel cans on the side of the truck broke mm-hmm. and they entered the cab. Jeez. And whatever air we had was now diesel. So we started inhaling diesel. Mm-hmm. And I remember my friend saying, my lips are going numb. He's like, they're going numb. And I said, well, chill out, man. You just relax. You might be nervous. And then I started feeling the nervousness. Then I heard him, you know, we won't get into that part. And so I was like, man, uh, I had two options at that time, bro. You ever thought about this, bro? You ever thought about dying by fire or dying drowning? You, you ever thought about, you know, you're always like, it's like yeah. the two worst options. Yeah. Your two worst options. Yeah. Yep. So I was handed one. And I was going to say, you know, I'm not going to drown. I thought about it really bad. Really, it was really heartfelt, this decision. And I reached up for my chest. And I I took this nine mil out of my my, uh, my rack. And I uh, I, I pulled it because I was going to do it, man. I was going to say, man, this is not going to happen. I'm not going to die. Mm-hmm by drowning mm. and I remember putting a gun in my head and I remember praying and I remember rolling the hammer back and there's only two pounds of pressure on that trigger mm-hmm. you know that yep. and I remember I remember that I remember that that hammer rolling back and I anticipated the gunshot I anticipated I said man it's gonna happen now it's gonna happen now it's gonna happen now because I didn't want to drown you know, because I, you know, and um, I didn't do it. Mm. I couldn't do it, man. Mm. I couldn't do it. If I was going to do it, man, I I couldn't do it. So I dropped the gun. I remember dropping the gun. And then I blacked out. And, uh, you probably read about what's going on mm-hmm. in my mind. Yeah. Uh, the things I experienced uh, when I blacked out, man. It's, um, it's something, you know, that, that's, uh, I don't know, man. I, I know when people say that you have this out of body experience, man, and stuff like that. Yeah. It the, wasn't a good thing. The only reason why, like, when I read your story and I, I read this portion of it and, like, I think you said you saw like a flaming ball, right? It was like the sun. Like, yeah, just a flaming ball. And when you said that, my my grandpa got shot, uh, I think, nine times in the back. And he actually died three times, got resuscitated all three times. And when he came to, he said the exact same thing. Really? Yep. He said when he knew that he was outside his own body and when he knew that he was like passing, when he knew he was dead, he saw a flaming ball and he saw that light and he was attracted to it and he felt himself get pulled back. He get pulled back. Yep. Yeah. Is that what happened to you? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's exactly, man. You got me all nervous man, talking this story, man. So yeah, that's what, that's um, um, so my experience is that when I went out, uh, I was in space. Weird, this mm -hmm. weird experience, man. It's I was alone. It's just dark. You're just kind of floating. It was hundred percent dark. Wow. But there was an orange bulb. It was like a blob, and it was just rotating, rotating. And uh, I was headed towards it. And I remember looking off to my right, and I seen these things shoot from, these things shoot from my right side, and they'd come down, and they grab my leg, um, and they start shaking me. And I was afraid to look down because I was trying to balance myself. Mm -hmm. Really weird stuff. Yeah, it's kind of hard to comprehend. Just, yeah. just, just stick with me on this, man. Mm -hmm. And I would look up, man, and I was so afraid to look down because if I looked down, I would fall. I don't know where I was gonna fall. I just was gonna fall. Mm -hmm. But I remember everything. I remember I looked down to my right. I seen the world. I see my family, I see my kids, and the only thing I was, you know, one of the things I was thinking for myself was like, um, not how the world's going to remember me, but how my kids are going to miss me, mm -hmm. you know, and and, uh, and that's what made me sad, because to me, this was done, we are done here, on this world, we are done, Yeah. so that was the most powerful part of it mm. is that I don't exist anymore and it, it's not like okay we're just gonna just you know one of those things we're like we're gonna assume that we're gonna pass away and then we'll come back and I'll, no it was done mm -hmm. it was done I was I was gone and then what happened next is uh somehow the truck shakes and I kind of snap out of it Mm -hmm. And you gotta remember, my, the the this time the diesel was up to my neck. So you're just breathing in fumes. I'm just breathing constantly. Fumes. I'm just breathing fumes. Jeez. And uh, and I I snap out of it. And 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 the crazy thing is, I experience this same thing. It's repetitive. I go in and out, in and out, in and out. Over and over again, and I'm and I want to think that it's the the crew mm -hmm. taking the truck out and shaking me, waking me up. That's this is what I want to think because mm -hmm. I don't want to think the other thing. And finally, the truck is snatched out of the water. It snatches out of the water, and um, it gets it goes sideways. God, man, you got me worried here, man. <laughs> I'm all sweating here talking this story, man. This story, <laughs> I'm still thinking about it. I mean, we're listening. I'm like, fuck, I'm like picturing I'm like, the details I'm like, you're describing. Dude, I'm like on the edge of my seat, like <laughs> no. perched up and everything. Too. I'm like, no, I, I so, so I, I can I, imagine this. I, I'm, uh, so I'm in, I'm in there and we're upside down and I have a gun port on the back of the, of the window, mm -hmm. right? And I, I have it open. Um, and uh, once they get the truck halfway up this aqueduct, the water drains instantly. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, this water's gone, and um, 
I see all these flashlights at the back of the window. Like, like my nickname's Cholo. Like, Cholo, Cholo, Cholo. And I'm like, where the fuck you been? <laughs> right? And I've been floating in space. <laughs> I'm floating in space. <laughs> now you want to call my name. And so I was so foggy, bro. I was so foggy um, that someone, my buddy Dave, he reached through the gun port. He grabbed my, my rack. And pull me, he says, take a breath. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Phew. I opened up that breath, man, and boom, the lights go on mm-hmm. just that quick. And they say, hey, open the hatch. The hatch is now on the side because mm-hmm. they just pulled us out of the water. So I, so I, I said, okay, I'm a, I open the hatch up. And they jump in and they push me aside. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, screw you then, man. You know, I'm, I'm in the, and they grab my buddy, and and they um, they bring him out. At this time, I know. I don't want to think about it, but I I know what happened to him, mm-hmm. right? And I I some other stuff that we didn't we didn't discuss. Mm-hmm. I, I I know what happened to him, and. Um, so they pushed me aside, and uh, you know his name was James Matthew Trevor. My wife was six months pregnant at the time. We had no name for my son, so he saved my life, and and I named my son after him. Man. So they pull me out, and uh, they they take me aside and do this time. I was I had I I was um, I was hypothermic. Mm-hmm. And I was suffering from other things, chemical burns and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a, we had a smart guy, a smart Air Force guy, that said, "Hey, if you're gonna bring choppers in to pick up Joe, pick him one at a time. Don't 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 bring because we have we have um, we have we have other things. So mm-hmm. and the um, and the choppers are like, no." The Blackhawks were like, no, we're not going to, uh, we're not, we're all going to land together. This is a hot spot. Going to land. He, and he's like, no, if, if you don't land together, if you land together, I'll send you away. We'll get somebody else. Mm. So they decided to land one chopper, one helicopter, pick me up, and then land the second and third. Mm. On the second and third helicopter were body bags. Mm, wow. And they didn't want me to see that. So, but I knew deep down inside, man, I was the sole survivor of that that crash, and or, or that accident. And once I got back to, um, once they flew me back to um, uh, Kandahar mm-hmm. Hospital, yeah, when I was on the, because I was on the operating table, man, I, you know, just because they were trying to evaluate me. I remember the command walks in and says, "Hey, Joe." All your people dead. All everybody on your everybody in your truck had died. Mm. And I knew and I knew then. Um but I think then is when I made my mind up that I don't want to come home. Mm-hmm. So I stayed in Afghanistan. What what year was this? Two thousand eight. This was uh this was June twenty eighth, two thousand eight. I was gonna say I I honestly, I, I'm 99.9% sure I actually remember this because I remember this story. Obviously, I knew 
none of you. Sure. But I, I remember this story because, you know, we drove around in trucks as well. And I remember they went through the army as a whole mm-hmm. after this rollover incident. Rollover. And they added um, breathers to all the trucks. Okay, so so the breathers. Yeah. Oh, you're talking about 15-minute apparatus. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so uh, after the apparatus, uh, they came down and investigated. Mm-hmm. And they cut off the handles on the front door. Yep. And then they put 15 minute tanks in the back. Yep. So, and that's kind of one of the things I recommended. Yeah. I said, and I don't know why I recommend it because I know guys that were not only in um, underwater in the mm-hmm. trucks, but if if smoke if filled the cabs, yep. that we had 15 minutes to think about, think about what we should do next. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's 15 minutes is kind of important. I mean, that's critical. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's where that came from, man. Yeah. I bet being stuck inside like an isolated metal tank for 15 minutes would go by in like a minute. Oh, super fast. To you, super, super fast. fast. How, how long were you under? Do you, do you know how long? Yeah, but it was about 45 minutes. Damn. Jeez. In freezing right. water at night. Yeah. yeah. And uh, now what I say was I underwater for 45 minutes. I was up to my neck for 45 minutes. Mm. Yeah. But my forehead was pressed against the the steel of the of the uh, of the hole of the tank, I guess you would say. Yeah, um, trying to grasp for air. But that's crazy. But it wasn't. Um, uh, yeah, we just leave it there. Yeah, dude, that's uh, for, for. I mean, I want to I want to talk about a million different things, but go ahead. Um, I think the most powerful thing is to one that we talked about before is like just that decision after something like that to decide to stay because you want to fight with your brothers still. Yeah. And honestly, I, I think at a certain extent, cause I, I I've interfaced with a lot of people, the same thing. They got injured, they got shot, they got mm-hmm. shrapnel, whatever the case may be. And they are trying to figure out the quickest way to get back possible. They're like, don't even send me out of country. Just let me heal here. And I want to stay. And uh, that's a crazy mindset for, you know, a lot of people that just wouldn't even understand it. Honestly, mm-hmm. they think we're crazy. I know they think we're crazy. Like uh, <laughs> people, uh, 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 after an event like that. You yeah. Just kinda I think, want to stay. Like it, but this is a, a mindset, honestly, for, for a lot of veterans, like it's especially combat veterans. It's like it's so difficult to explain of why the fuck would you want to stay? Like, why would you want to continue to put yourself in harm's way? And it's, again, it's that brotherhood. And honestly, it's a certain level of being pissed off, probably. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Uh, just being pissed off at the situation that you have to keep doing this. So you want to put an end to it. So nobody yeah. else has to experience yeah. it. Dude, that is powerful that you said that. Because that's kind of one of the things that I was thinking about when I, when I, you know, and I don't want to go back to my first incident, but yeah. That's kind of like put the weight on my shoulders. Yeah, mm-hmm. put the weight on my shoulders, and then let me bear the weight, so that people don't suffer this stuff. This stuff this way. Yeah, yep. is Absolutely. that? Um, I think I heard you kind of touch on it, how you said that you made the phone call and you were saying I'm staying to the family. Is that? Um, so obviously you named your son after your friend that passed away that night. Then, mm-hmm. and it was Matthew. You named him Matthew. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, so and that, and that was one of the hardest things that I had to do. Um, 
you know, I always think about the, you know, it's easy to think about the fighting and then in the, in, in the, the gunfights that you're in, but it's, mm-hmm. it's more than that. It's a, it's about, uh, it's about a connection with your family. And you know, I didn't realize this until years later was that, uh, my family probably suffered more than I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they, they were worried about me and I didn't ever consider that. They're probably looking forward to seeing you too. And then yeah. well, you made the call to stay and it's hard on everyone. You got to think about it. Like they, like I know my, what my wife went through and I know, you know, countless families have gone through and that just constant sitting and especially in special operations, you can't share any information. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's literally darkness. You don't hear anything. You know, the, the information that's sent back to the FRG is sure. limited um, so, you know, like you just honestly don't really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then, so you're sitting on pins and needles and you're just like, when am I going to receive that next phone call? Dude, when my mom I- was a mess. Yeah. And I didn't really know how bad she was. You know, she was really, she was really a wreck. Like I found out years later that she would, she would stay in her pajamas for days at a time. Because she was worried, you know, you know yeah. how it is. Mm-hmm. He's just, just worried about us. But yeah, man, that that to me was, if may I don't know, man. Maybe if I knew now what I knew then, I'd probably change my mind. But back then, I was just a, I was just a war fighter, man. Yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't think any other way. No. Um, one more thing I wanted to touch on from that too is, uh, you said the the Air Force guy. So I'm guessing it was a JTAC that was calling in the birds. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm. It was we had a, uh, you know, I was, you know, I had some pretty good, uh, I had some pretty good Air Force guys, and you know, some of them are uh, we call them JTACs, but that's just a school. Yeah, and they call it combat controllers. Yep, yep. CTTs and and uh, and uh, those guys are are, are are pretty badass. Not only did mm-hmm. we have combat controllers, but we also had TACPs assigned to us. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, those guys went to JTAC school and. Uh, Dude, they were they were badass, man. Yeah, that's just a, a a decision too that could have been easily just missed. You know, not thought about about bringing in the birds separately and making sure that you didn't see you know, all of that. But like, dude, how can you think about something? I know. Like that? How yeah, can you, right? Like, I couldn't even if I seen my boys on the ground and then had to adjust to 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 flying in helicopters coordinating helicopters Mm -hmm. to land one at a time dude that's that's a task bro that's that's an honorable move that's an honorable move absolutely and i don't know how they did that and i think about that every time i think about the situation is that he didn't want me to see you know the stuff that was going on on the ground Mm -hmm. and he coordinated flights coming in to pick up one because it's it's it was a dangerous spot yeah. So normally, what they do is, if there are three helicopters coming, three helicopters are landing. Yep. But to have the mindset to say, you know what, you're not going to land three at a time, so because we're going to load things up, you're going to land one. You pick them up, you fly them out. It's yep. almost like every thirty seconds, like every come thirty down fast, seconds, get every, in, you're out, and then every thirty seconds, touchdown, and then we're going to take off. Mm-hmm. And uh, to to coordinate that, I don't even know if that's even in training, bro. Yeah, I think that's just a person, you know, yep. considering, and that's just amazing, amazing. To, to if think I could to, thank the guy right now, man, I'd hug him. Yeah, to be Absolutely. that empathetic yeah. in a moment of yep. stress. Yeah, and to think like that, like I said, going back, it's just an honorable 
decision to make. 100%. And I don't think that a lot of us would make that call. It would almost be like, there's bodies down here and one there's one survivor just get a chopper and load them all up yeah and get yes. them out of here as fast as you can but that's yeah. that's crazy to think in the heat of the moment like that uh, the only reason why i pointed this out too is i i can't count the number of times one of our combat controllers or jtax or, or somebody who was attached to us would make decisions like that now did, and on the rangers you guys had that when yeah you, were on the ground? Yeah, mm -hmm. you always had an air force guy huh? yeah and they would they would get so pissed and go and yell at like majors and you know chief warrant officers and stuff like that and literally leave like after we would finally come back and go scream at them because they're putting like us in danger or they didn't you know they were basically arguing with us on the ground and being like dude you have no fucking idea what's going on on the ground like just get out here or like provide mm -hmm. the fire support or whatever honestly i i maybe they do teach it a little bit definitely not that situation but as far as like being able to if you're the jtac you you control the air yeah definitely yeah and i definitely. think they are taught that for sure is like if you are the combat controller you control the air yeah air force is not going to share their airspace yeah they're like hey army guy get off yeah. <laughs> it's interesting to hear more about from my perspective because obviously as we're working on this book and joe you're a part of that you're one of the veterans in the book we have a guy in there who um was a combat controller and mm -hmm. was JTAC. And I think he was a PJ as well, mm -hmm. but he's got such an interesting story. So it's kind of cool to hear what you guys are talking about and their roles. Cause I didn't know too much about the roles, even though I've interviewed this guy yeah. for the book, it's cool to hear that, you know, he could have been one of the guys in these situations. Oh, dude, yeah. Air Force are MVPs, man. Once they get on, once they get on the radios, bro, it's mm -hmm. kind of, they're kind of like, Hey, um, bad guys go ahead and take off. Yeah. Game over, <laughs> game over, man. Because he bombs because they could stack air. You know, they could stack yeah. air. You can, you might have like a, a, a C one thirty, an A ten, a B one, Apache. Yep. And they'll and they'll coordinate air. So mm -hmm. one 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 uh aircraft is coming in. They'll expend all ammo. We call it Winchester. Mm -hmm. We call it Winchester. And then the air the, the guy will push him off station, which means get him out of the air, and then. You have two or three, four aircrafts loitering, ready to yep. drop bombs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so they these guys are taking two, three, four steps ahead of the game, man. So, Dan, Dan and I heard an interesting story from a, a C-130 pilot on the gunship. Yeah. And he was telling us that they stacked over, I think, eleven hundred bodies in less than twenty-four hours. I, I believe. And yeah. basically, because they would circle an area. And he would have to navigate when we're going to circle and come back around the area, refuel and keep doing that. And what he would do is, you know, fire the 105, you know, how it's around and it would create massive craters in the ground. And then they would see from the FLIR, you know, from like night vision or yeah. thermals, they would see, you know, a bunch of insurgents or Taliban that would pile into yeah. that crater. And because they don't think they're going to hit the same spot twice. Well, they would think it was a fighting position too at that point. So oh, they really? would actually take it up as a fighting position and then because they wouldn't they know would where bomb the, it again. They, <laughs> they, wouldn't, they wouldn't like I, I, apparently they wouldn't know where that round was coming from. It could they or for all they know it could have been a big mortar round. Man, that was the best light show when I seen when I seen uh, C one thirties MC one thirties. Yeah, when they come in and they drop mm -hmm. from the one hundred fives. Yeah, it, it it the 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 sparks and all that stuff was way above ground and i'm like where are you dropping it yeah but dude the bad guys would just splat and all that stuff <laughs> but <laughs> dude, it was crazy I love the story thirty guys or he would just wait he was like telling us that they would you know make a crater see like 20 guys pile up he's like wait hold up hold up 30 guys 100 guys and then he was went, he flying the plane 
Yeah, he was really? a pilot and he was ordering the the gunners, you know, because I'm assuming it's all with the 105. I'm assuming it's 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 all remote control. You just loading the side. Yeah. It. So basically yeah. they're loading and, and pausing for yeah. a moment and then they're dropping another shell and it's basically like taking out 100 dudes. So at is time. this guy like cool with it? He's like or he's kind of like he afterwards he was like, man, this is what I did. Or was he like, yeah, hell yeah. I did. No, he's, no, he was pretty pumped. He's pretty good. Yeah, about that's what like, <laughs> he, 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 military guys laugh at He owned stuff. it. I don't know. We probably should. But <laughs> no, he, he told the story and he owned it and it was like it's just interesting to see the strategic planning that goes behind those kind of like coordinated attacks like that sure. and even yeah. you know how you're talking about this jtac guy you know or combat controller that helped with that your specific situation it, it, it's interesting to hear these kind of stories and you know i wouldn't i wouldn't never i i didn't really think about um the positions until we start talking about it right now mm -hmm. and the impact on what he did mm-hmm and what it meant to me until we started until i started discussing it you know and um and then bo like bo was saying about the, the, the he started being with the c-130 and mm -hmm. the, the pilot and all that you know i think dude i i i look back now man and there's more parts to the game than mm -hmm. just just the team on the ground bro absolutely mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's a it's a massive moving puzzle that's just Crazy. like easy Man, when it all fits together, it's it works nicely. It's, it works. it's beautiful to a certain extent, like dude, because you don't know where they're coming from. Yeah, like, they're like you, you. You bring in different. You bring di different different things from the forces, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and somehow they all connect and they all communicate. And sometimes it's not. It's that it's not. It's a disadvantation, right? We just yeah. Maybe it's not a good thing, but most of the time, you know, we. If or, you know, it doesn't matter from bringing for supplies in or bringing, it's all coordination, man. And yeah. it's just a bunch of different cool moving parts, man. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I know you you stayed in country, um, decided to stay in country, and then um, I know you had a third incident. <laughs> I don't know how much you want to go into this one, but uh, do we have this enough, is crazy? Do we have enough time for this one? Yeah, I mean, you need another drink. Yeah, can I get? Okay, we on a drink. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, bro. You can just press pause if you want. No, no, we'll keep it live. I'll go get okay. another drink. All right, yeah, yeah. I'll, we can keep I'll, going. I can keep going. Yeah, yeah. All right. I got you, brother. Bo's gonna Joe, miss. Uh, Bo's gonna miss this one. Legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we haven't Thank told people yet where we were gonna get to this, but Joe has a severely broken <laughs> leg. When I mean he's indestructible, I mean he is indestructible. He might be like Gumby right now, but he's indestructible. <laughs> Hey, Bo, hey, oh, sorry, excuse me. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me, man. You guys have been more than welcome. I do. I, I honestly, man, uh, this leg, uh, if I can, uh, if I, if, no, I love my legs. I was going to say, man, let me chop this joker off, but I'm not going to chop it off. I love it, man. Nah, I got I got my tattoo on. I got my SF crest on this one. Oh, you definitely can't then. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, after my second incident, hmm. uh, they I I remained in country, and um, I'm not sure if it was a good thing, man. I mean, to me, I was fighting for something bigger. Yeah, and um, so I stayed in country, and uh, I I wanted to. I don't know what what I was what I was thinking. Uh, but I know that, that, uh, I one my family was upset and two, that I had a higher calling mm. and, uh, I found out real soon 
that, that my calling sucked. You know what I mean? <laughs> it sucked, man. If my calling was like to get blown up, man, I'm like, damn, bro, I, I made that one. So I, I so so I was in I was in I was in theater, man, and um this is my last this was one of my last missions, and we were out there for about seven days and we were on the ground. And part of my job was to interview people, mm. like what you guys are doing right now. Yeah. And but I don't have a grenade on me. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> oh, you don't, right? <laughs> no, I don't. Okay. I didn't add, so so when I was interviewing this guy was in a small ass room, really tiny ass room. And um so I'm sitting there, man, and I, I expect my um the host nation, we call it host nation, mm-hmm. but it, it's it's the Afghan, you know, Afghani uh, uh commandos, army. Mm-hmm. They're searching people, they clean, we call it clean it, they bring them in the room, and so they sit them in front of me. And uh, so I got the guy kneeling behind me, and he has his turban tying his hands behind his back. And uh, there, I mean, I can say we can tactical interrogate or tactical, you know, we, we know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. We're, we're getting some information, and this is how we're going to do it. And uh, so at some point, he's in front of me. He gets tired of me talking to him. I probably get tired of myself talking to myself. You know, I'm like, hey, these guys are like, I'm so sick of you guys talking to me. Like, watch this kind of thing. Mm. So so I sit there and I, I hear a pop. You know what I'm going click yep. and the grenade. Mm-hmm. So so I sit there and I'm like, man, this is, a, I hear a, I hear an audible sound, man, like pop. And I'm like, dude. And I'm with my translator. And he's like looking at me, I'm looking at him. And we only have three to five seconds to react. Yeah. And I see something roll behind this guy's back. And I'm like, dude, that's a grenade. We're in trouble. Mm. Right? What do I do? I'm standing on top of it. So I said, let me kick this guy on top of the grenade. And let me hope that, (laughs) let me hope he lands on it because we ain't got much choices now. Yeah. And so I kick him in the chest. When I kick him, he lands to the side of the grenade. Hmm. The grenade goes off underneath me. I'm kind of to the right. If you look at if you look at the scars on my body, it's kind of like a cool blast pattern. It's all on my right side. Really <laughs> you cool. Just, you just got peppered. I got peppered. It's just like all <laughs> on my right side, dude. Totally cool. You're half seasoned, dude. I know. Like I got like a hundred holes in me, and I'm like it's all on the right side. Jeez. <laughs> oh, so it's just super cool, and. Um, you know, on a grenade, man, the, the, when the blast goes off, there's a V. Mm. It's a V pattern. Yep. So if you're standing in the V, you're probably safe. I don't want to test that theory again. Mm. I already tested it, and I lived. Mm-hmm. So I'm good with standing in the V. Mm. Standing in the X sucks, but standing in the V is okay. So it goes off, and uh, not unlike Hollywood – when a grenade goes off, you don't fly. Mm-hmm. There's none of that. There's no. none of that. I'm gonna blow you back and mm-hmm. and all your arms, you know, swing and your legs swing. There's no flames either. It's no not flames. Like, it's not like a gas ball explosion. No, no gas no, ball no, explosion. No, no, exactly, no, no. bro. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, there, bro. There's no gas ball explosions. I was looking for it. Just fucking metal that goes everywhere. It's not metal. like Rambo. With the it's gas not ball. like Rambo, <laughs> dude. It hit me so fast and so hard. It dropped me where I stood. You're probably yeah. stunned though, like with adrenaline. So oh, you probably bro. don't even feel it right away. Dude, I, 
being close to explosions multiple times because I was a, a master breacher. Like when you, mm. granted, this is a grenade. But, well, you understand. But you but understand. just eating a charge, like you know what it's like eating a charge. The overpressure. Yeah, that overpressure. It's like getting hit in the nose as hard as you fucking Tyson, can. bro, dude. Like it's Jeez. it. You see stars. Like it. I can't even explain it, but it, it's literally like getting hit in the face and the nose really hard. Like dude, right here. that is exactly what happened. Every bone in my Rouse body shook. Yep. It, it felt like like a heavyweight, like yeah. heavier oh, yeah. punch. Yep. Dude, I felt a heavier punch. That's what I was gonna say. I, I was I was gonna say that, right? I was like, it felt like Mike Tyson just yeah. hit me in the face. With a right hook. With every the, every dude with that's a, with a nasty right hook when he was 18. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, every dude that's putting charges on doors can take a massive punch to the face. Dude, dude. the overpressures, <laughs> dude. It's not, it wasn't the shrapnel though, bro. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the shrapnel. It was the overpressure that rang my bell, mm -hmm. right? Okay, maybe a few minutes, a few moments later, it was like, okay, maybe the shrapnel got me, yeah, dude. But that initial bang, bro, I was the bitch, mm. <laughs> dude. They had sucked me in and they had bit me over, and I was like, God, dog, this sucks. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't. So you know, once once the once the grenade goes off, you got to remember it was like a dirt room, mm -hmm. and I couldn't see five feet in front of me. Mm -hmm. Right? It was just so, it was pitch black. I call it a brownout. Yeah. And so I knew there was a guy sitting in front of me, and I knew there was a gun <laughs> sitting between us, and I'm like, oh man, dude, this sucks. So I, I kind of scoot back against the wall and I'm like, man, this is okay. We got two, we got two things are gonna happen here. I'm gonna run out the door. Are we gonna we me and he gonna get it on? Mm -hmm. So I so I I did I did the yeah, I, I got up and tried to because when my when 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 it went off, my translator, he ran for the door. Mm. He opened it up. And so what came what came in was the sunlight. But when the sunlight came in, it made an orange blob. Kind of crazy. Mm. It, it just kind of browned everything out. It was orange. I knew the door was there. So I stood up to go to the door because I wasn't going to stay around with this guy. And so when I stood up to do it, I took one step and collapsed. Mm. My left leg, my left leg was gone. Now my right leg is gone. <laughs> so my, my left leg was gone, right? So I'm like, dude, and, and I couldn't evaluate myself. I, you know, I couldn't evaluate myself that fast. I couldn't say what's wrong with me. I just looked down my boots. Do I have my boots on? Yeah, my boots are there. I was thinking that I stepped on like an anti-personnel mine and I got blown up. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what was going on, right? But I remember leaning against the wall, crawling up against the wall. And I remember the dust settling. And I said, man, I can't make it out the door. Mm. And I started looking across the room. And uh, I remember the figure, the silhouette came into to play. And uh, I stood up. I didn't stand up. I was like, man, we got to do something about this because I don't, you know, he's going to get me. I'm going to get him. And there's a gun. Mm -hmm. So I remember pushing myself against the wall. I've been pushing myself against the wall. And uh, I had one shot at the guy. Right? He's only five feet away from me. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember launching off the wall and hitting this guy in the face, but it wasn't a hard punch. I don't even know if it was a hard punch. 
I might hit like a girl. I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> I just know that I did 100% of whatever my 100% was at the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Fear Dude, set I, in. Yeah, I was, I was kind of, I was weak. But I fell on the gun. I fell on the gun. Mm. And I remember picking the gun up, man. And I remember going through my training, dude. I remember it's like, hey, I, I don't know why I did what I did, but I dropped the magazine. I pulled back charging handle. I seen the around eject. And then I checked the magazine. I remember it was full. I slapped it in back in the magazine well, charged it. I hit the Ford assist. And I didn't go from fire. I didn't go from so, to semi to. To, to, to safe to semi, man. I went to semi to three on burst. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't aim at this time. So I sat back and I remember popping this. Can we say this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember. I, <laughs> all right. I remember. I remember uh, the first round I, uh, the first round I shot. Because um, I couldn't, I was just holding it by my waist. And I remember the first round I shot hit the wall because I seen the splash. And then I kind of adjusted, right? I kind of leaned over and I remember pop, pop. I hit him in the stomach. And I don't know if you ever shot anybody, man. His body twitched. Mm -hmm. Like all funky, right? I don't know if I can say this right. Yeah, you can say it. <laughs> it don't matter. I just keep that mic up as much as you can. Right. Or you can slide it over a little bit if it's easier for you. Okay. Right here. From the base. If you just pull it. Just want to make sure you can hear your. All right. Nah, that's perfect. Yeah. So so I don't even. Is this like. Uh, can I say that? You think? Yeah. This is a family channel. You can't say that. I'm gonna say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say it. No, so I, so I um, I hit him twice in the stomach. Wait, <laughs> I won't say. Okay, so that's as far as I go with that one. <laughs> and uh, I I got up, dude, and, and and somehow I made it to the door. And as soon as I got to the door, I collapsed. So, here's the wild story. Dude, I wanted to live. And I knew that I was dying. Mm. I knew that every muscle in my body was contracting at the time. Mm. My voice went out. It started going out. And I couldn't control any emotion. I, I couldn't control any, any physically. I couldn't control my own muscle. I couldn't control my body. I couldn't point. I couldn't stand up. I couldn't walk. I couldn't roll over. I couldn't do anything. I knew that. Oh, Joe! Joe was about to call it a day, mm. right? And I remember laying in the sun, and I remember looking up, and I see some crows, man. And the only thing that I thought about was uh, the Civil War guys back in the day when you first, they first when photography first came out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they took pictures of these dead Civil War soldiers. Yeah. And their lips were all swollen. That's the only thing I thought about. And I didn't want my family to see me like that. That's such a random thought. That is a random thought. Yeah. But I didn't want to die on a battlefield. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I said, hell no, I'm not going to die here. So I, I, told my, I told my guys, man, I was like, hey, pick me up. Because you think about it, if you're going to die somewhere, like, and this is my thought again. If you're gonna if you're gonna die in a spot, what? Well, not if you're gonna die. You know that's how you're going. And I'm like, pick me up and move me somewhere else, because mm -hmm. right now, I'm taking one step in front of death. I don't want death to catch me. 
So I tell I tell my friends to keep pick me up and move me to a different spot. And they did it. But then I started feeling like I was gonna die again. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, I'm not gonna die in this spot. Right now I'm surviving. I'm not I'm not fighting Taliban. I'm not fighting any, I'm fighting, I'm fighting death. Mm-hmm. So I say, pick me up, move me to a different spot. And they pick me up and they move me to a different spot. <laughs> and we did this about three or four times. And they're like, Joe, man, you're done, bro. We can't, we got other patients. And then I say, go get me an Afghani. And they're like, Joe, why get you? Now why are we going to get you an Afghani? I said, man, listen, man, if I'm going to die, I don't want flies on my face. Mm. You know, I'm just surviving. Mm-hmm. So finally, we steal a truck. I don't know where we got the truck from, because I thought I blew most of them up. But we got a civilian truck, and they 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 take us out to. Now you got to remember, Bo, my translator looks like you, hmm. pale skin, yeah. red hair, speaks English. Got to remember that. That's yeah. that's key to the next my next survival, right? Because right now, Did you I, just call me a ginger. Ginger. <laughs> I got brown hair, damn it. <laughs> Dude, I told my, hey, listen, man. I told my I told my translator, I say, man, I used to tell him, I say, when the Russians left, they kicked you out the back of the helicopter. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> right. There's a lot. I don't it's it's probably because of the, the Russians and stuff, but this is a, a weird anecdote. But uh there are actually a lot of gingers in Afghanistan. It's 100%, weird. 100%. really yeah, there's a lot. I, I don't know why. I, I honestly don't know why. You, we just said it. <laughs> you, you think so? Because yeah, the so- yeah. when the Soviet the Soviets, and everything. Yeah, okay, yeah. Mm. yeah, Bo fell out when we left. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> hey Bo, so you were there with me and uh so my 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 translator. This is important part because my translator he was like, hey, uh, he spoke perfectly good English, mm-hmm. and uh, he he was red hair and pale skinned and uh, and I was remember man, I I was I was brown, not that tall. Mm-hmm. I had no patches on me, so I had no uh, U.S. affiliate. Mm-hmm. Right? They thought I I looked like an Afghani. I had a beard. So when they flew us to the British base, uh, Camp Bastion, I think it is, um, out in Hellman, uh, they were uh, the British came out to to triage us, mm-hmm. right? They said, "Okay, we're gonna take the American first. This is how we do business." Guess who they took? They took the ginger, <laughs> right? <laughs> so <laughs> listen. So my friend was there, man. My, I was lucky enough. My friend was there. He's like, no, 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 take that guy, right? Take, take, take the American. He's like, no, that guy is brown. He, he he's not even speaking English. He looks Afghani, and I look. I guess I look Afghani, right? <laughs> and and uh, he's like, I'm taking the other guy that's pal and that speaks English. So we were racing to the OR room. We're talking about li- we're talking about life and death here. We're talking mm-hmm. about hey, who's gonna survive? Mm-hmm. So, you know what? You know how we got there. You know how. We, you know, so my partner, man, he he he's a smart guy, and he said, "Hey, man, cut cut the the brown guy's uniform off." So they cut my uniform off, right? And they get all the way down, and he's like, "Lift up his shirt," and he's like, "They're like, shit, he has tattoos," mm-hmm. and then he's like, "Yeah, what Afghani has a raider tattoo?" 
right? Mm-hmm. So they rushed me in there, man. I'm like, just win, baby. Yeah, there you go. And, and uh, but once I once I get into once I get into after I get out of the operation out out of, out of the uh, surgery, they stuck me with the Taliban. They they still thought it was Afghani. Oh my god! Shit. So so oh man, this is gonna be a longer story. <laughs> uh, you got enough time? Oh yeah, yeah plenty yeah, yeah. of time. All right, so. Okay, when I say stuck me in Afghanistan, I okay. Okay, so when I said stuck me with the Afghanis, I um, what I meant was so when you're when you're a patient in the ward, there's no there's no there's no you know there's no fighting. Mm -hmm. They're all patients, but the way you prioritize is like Mm -hmm. if I'm American, the Americans go first. But so the British were like, hey, we got the British on the right side. I said, okay, man, British is cool over there. Whatever. Then you have the Americans. Then you got every other nation. Then you got the Afghan villagers. Then you got the Taliban. That's just everybody's recovering, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But when I woke up, I'm like, dude, I looked down at my body first. And I, I I do a I I do a real you know what we call those checks a body check whatever it is yeah I check my arm leg tell me dude I noticed man I got like seventy four staples in me mm. right I pull back the sheets and I'm like oh this is this is horrible man like I just came out of surgery the last thing I knew was that out in the tarmac some British doctor stuck their finger up my ass and I went to sleep so. <laughs> Shit. So that's the last thing I remember, right? Yeah. So is that bad? So no. no. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta get a, a British finger up the ass, dude. It was I don't I guess it was a good time because I went out. Yeah, <laughs> he hit the right spot. No, I don't know. <laughs> so I, that's that's the last thing I remember, right? Mm. That's crazy. So so I wake up. And I'm doing a, a body check, I guess. And I notice that to my right are my translators who are Afghani. Then I notice to the way to the right, that's where the, the, the British, the Americans, right? That's where they're at. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 and then I hear, I hear, I hear, um, I hear, you know, them speaking, they're saying something, whoever, whoever's to my left, they were saying something really bad because I can tell by their tone of voice. And I look over to my right, I'm like, Ace, my 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 translator was Sammy. Said, Sammy, what are they saying? He's like, Joe, don't worry about it. He's like, don't worry about it, man. I'm like, dude, he's like, don't worry about it. And I'm like, and I have, think about this, man. I have every tube in my nose, everywhere you can think about. Mm. I'm draining things that I got drained. I can't even know, I can't even imagine where you can drain from, but I had like 18 tubes coming out of me. So I Jeez. look like Predator. Right, and I'm like, dude, and I'm, like, you gotta think about the warrior mindset. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, what what are they saying? Because right now, I'm not thinking I'm a patient. I'm thinking I'm a fighter, mm-hmm. right? So he's like, I said, Joe. He's like, Joe, don't. Um, he's like, Joe, don't worry about what they're saying. And I said, Sammy, you're still on payroll. Tell me what they're saying. 
He says, okay, Joe, they're saying, you know, they're cussing me. They're cussing the Americans out. I said, do they know I'm right here? He's like, yeah, they're talking to you. <laughs> they're talking to you. And I said, man, for real. He's like, yeah. And uh, he convinced me a couple of times. He's like, just, just lay back. And, uh, you know, you got to remember, man, I just came from a battlefield when I'm fighting these dudes. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, I said, for, I said, I said, Sam, go get me a wheelchair, bro. And he says, no wheelchair. I said, yeah, man, go get me one of the things over there. He's like, okay, over whatever. Okay. So he gets a wheelchair and I say, man, help me out of the chair. So he puts me in the chair. Like I'm literally sitting in a wheelchair with all these tubes connected to me. Mm-hmm. And I say, hey, Sammy, go give me a go give me a cane. So he goes, he goes, grabs me a cane. He said, what are we going to do next? I said, man, we're going to, I said, roll me down. Because the Taliban are still talking shit, right? They're still talking mess, man. We're going to get this game on. Mm-hmm. So I said, go, go with me down there, right? And the dude that was talking mess, he only had one leg. Mm. So I'm like, okay, that's the guy I'm going after, <laughs> right? He only had one leg. I'm good. But I know that if I went to sleep, man, these guys are going to jump. This yep. in my head. I'm going to put a pillow over your head. Yeah, yeah. they're going to they're gonna date rape me or something, bro. <laughs> so they got dude, roofies in Afghanistan. Dude, so this dude starts rolling me down there, right? And, and, and halfway down there, I get flipped around, 100, 180, flipped around. And I look back and I see a British doctor. And I'm like, oh, shit. I look back and my, my translator tripped over, it clossed me back, mm. right? We're rolling anyway. So anyway, to roll it up, man, to make it, so anyway, they took me back to the bunk and I kind of didn't want to go out because I knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so one doctor was sitting there in front of me talking to me and I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm like, I'm not doing this. But I didn't know the other doctor was throwing throwing drugs in my, my IV, right? So I started getting all woozy, man. Anyway, it's so, so I so they got me, they knocked me out. And then when I woke up, man, they had a you know that partition they put in offices? Yeah. Separating us. Mm-hmm. So Dude, that is crazy. That is pretty. Where intense. where was this at? Camp Bastion. Okay. Yeah. I know where Bastion is. Camp Bastion. Yeah. It it got uh majorly upgraded. Probably pretty close after that <laughs> it was around 2008 yeah yeah because yeah. when i when i was there 2010 i think 2011 it was pretty nice so i'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that's why i'm surprised that you're you know that close to everything and they yeah. put dividers up and everything because it was uh it was a pretty nice place when i visited okay there, there was the ward yeah you know in fact i still owe i still owe british doctors some american uniforms yeah. What they gave me was their shorts because I didn't have anything going in. Yeah. And so that they gave me, they he gave me the shorts, man, and they got different sizes. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's like, give me some American boots. I I, I kneeled on that one, never went back, but yeah. Damn, that is crazy. So, um, multiple close calls, obviously, um, and this was 2008. So was that your last deployment then? Yeah, that took me out of the fight. Yeah. Um, so what what happened after that? Because you you joined in 1995, got out in 2014. Yep. So six years of kind of figuring out, I guess, what was next. No, um, they sent me to schoolhouse. Okay. 
to you know you know uh, senior senior leader the SLC. Yep. So they sent me to the SLC to be an instructor for about three years. Okay. And then after we went SLC, they sent me to something called OSW. Um, some other stuff that we did mm-hmm. on the backside of it, and uh, I stayed there for about two three years, and mm-hmm. then I just left. Yeah. Did they? Because uh, I know this happens to a lot of people, especially that have you know injuries and stuff. I told you about my friend who who hurt both of his legs and stuff. They multiple times tried med boarding him. Um, is that kind of what happened? They they kind of pushed you out. Oh man, that was a business decision. Okay, mm. that was it was it was a business decision. Okay. Um. No, no, we'll. Now I would say that that. Uh, you know, I went to 19 years, mm-hmm. and they gave me an option, and I looked at the best option for my family and for my yeah. future, mm-hmm. and made a decision to, to uh, retire. Yeah, you gotta do that. Yeah, I sp- You know, we talked about this in the in the previous podcast too, and uh, I would imagine, you know, that first time you can't go to go on deployment anymore. It's rough, I would imagine, right? Like the second they're like, hey, you're not deploying anymore. Yeah. That that first call that you're like, what do you mean I can't deploy anymore? I'm sure it's like kind yeah. of a gut check. I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I, um, I hung it up. I, you know, I didn't. And um, it was more about seeing, you don't understand where we're coming from. You know, you're, you're a ranger and, and mm-hmm. there are places to fight. Yep. And when they said you can't go to the Super Bowl anymore. Yeah. What happens? You know, it just it gets tough. Yeah. Yeah. You get to a dark place. You can get to a dark place real fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um and I, I you know, I, I can imagine and uh I, I don't know if we want to go down this route, but um with everything that has happened to you regardless, like once I finally met you this mm. this past year, like I could see you being an angry disgruntled like completely just don't give a shit about anything type person but honestly you're you're one of the nicest people that i've met i'm serious like thank you man yeah you you're honestly like super at least every time that i've interacted with you you know worked with you on on a few projects that i want to get to eventually but um you've just been incredibly nice and and you know coming into my house like you know uh being um you know more than uh i don't know just just bringing a, a, a different level of respect and everything into sure. the household and everything I, I i can't thank you enough well i appreciate i appreciate you guys having me you know You're just genuine yeah yeah thank absolutely you. thank you and you know and and um i think i think i know the difference between you know what's when when i you know when i talk about my experience it's over there not here yeah and I, you know, I want to, you know, I want to credit my mom, I guess, for, for, for raising a, a, a young man now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I grew up with a good moral compass and it's not like I'm just this wild person and stuff like, it seems like it. Yeah. Maybe, 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 <laughs> maybe some of the things I do kind of, kind of, kind of, uh, support that. Yeah. But uh, no, I'm I'm I really appreciate you guys having me here. Yeah, you're just uh, incredibly humble, and and again, I 
I can't thank you enough for sharing these stories um, to start off with. But, um, you know, I do want to get into the transition. Sure. You know, what it was like, I guess, once you finally did hang up the hat, hang up the uniform. We got enough time for that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Bo, come on, Bo. You're supposed to help me out here. I mean, that's that's what I've been wanting to hear, too, is obviously I wanted to touch on your military experience and all the, the crazy stories that we've read about in books about you and all that. But I think it's important to hear about what your transition was personally like. Sure. Yeah, because, you know, the, that's the big thing about this podcast is like, we talk about the military stuff, right? And that is a part of our experience. Just a part. Just a part. Just a section. Yeah. But that is not that all of who we are. That doesn't make us. Exactly. No, no, it doesn't make it us. It could shape some of the things that we have become. Yes, sir. But it is not who we are. No, we're bigger than that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so I think that's why, you know, telling the transition story is so important to, to figure out like, also to tell people it's not the same for everybody. A, which I think we're pretty clear about that, but then also B, it's not easy for, I don't think anybody I've talked to. I don't think it's been easy for anybody I've talked to. No. Oh, is that like your personal experience? Like you, like you, you know, I, you're right. You're right about that, man. Cause it's, there, there's not many people that, no. um, that I've even talked to or traveled across the United States and interviewed that have said, yeah, my transition was easy. Well, I think well, you, 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 you've, you've interviewed more than just one for, you know, you, it, you Air Force, Marines, about Army. sixty-five people now from yeah. all branches. Yeah. So, well, I mean, you you understand. Mm -hmm. that yeah. In it, it, well, is it? It's all different. Every experience. It's all different, but I notice a pattern, which which is interesting. I was just telling Dan this the other day that as a civilian, I can never put myself. And I want to tread lightly with this. I can never put myself in the shoes of the men and women that have fought overseas or even have worn the uniform. But I can certainly kind of understand to a certain level what it's like to almost kind of be in those positions. Like when I hear the stories over and over again, and mm -hmm. then I hear how difficult the transition is like, I'm basically having to put myself in those shoes and try and understand it from the outside to try and more so feel for what, you know, the men and women have been through, you know, to have that empathy, to have that respect and that understanding. So it's interesting to kind of, you know, take that with me and help maybe educate even more civilians that there's other things to, you know, to talk about and to connect with, you know, it's kind of like just, just a combat story. Exactly. Because exactly. I, I think it's like yeah. what we were talking about earlier, you know, off air is that there's that misconception of veterans to where, and this isn't every civilian, but I think that for the most part, we constantly think when we hear veterans or we think that they've fought overseas in the last war, you know, the yeah. last 20 years that, Oh, they're, people that have killed people and they've got PTSD and they're a ticking time bomb. But really I haven't met one person who's part of this book that looked like your typical veteran or that had any of those issues. Like they might have, you know, some form of like a PTSD or some form of, you know, anxiety from the things they've experienced, but never once did I feel uncomfortable. Never once did I feel like, you know, this is what everyone talks about. I think that there's just a huge global misconception it is. of, of, of is. what um, veterans really like. And I think there's more to the conversation about, you know, how we're sitting down right now having a podcast, drinking rum. You know, there's, sure. there's so much more to relate to and talk about. Yeah. And I think that, like I said earlier, if you can connect to a veteran, they're a normal human being. So if you can just be a human to them, I think eventually when they have that that new camaraderie with you and that connection yeah. and that trust, they're probably going to bring up their military experiences without you even asking those awkward questions. 
Dude, that is that's that's awesome as you say that, man. You know, it's and I think, you know, I think I didn't want my military career, it's probably Dan, same as you, to define mm -hmm. who we are. Yep. It's just a part of your life. It's just a part of our life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I have we have way more to give to totally society. And we have we have stories that we can share with youngsters and mm -hmm. and have them you know, we we don't want to forget our past. Yeah. And I think that's just kind of a time capsule kind of thing. Yeah. But that's not. I don't want. I don't want my kids to always think that. Oh, dad, he, all he has is combat stories. Mm -hmm. He's a sad, sad guy, and and you know, yeah, I appreciate my past. Mm -hmm. But I think uh, that I think that, uh, like you said, man, it, it it's it's part of us. But there's a lot more to us. It doesn't define that. you. It doesn't define us. No, it's made you who you are to a certain extent. But I think that that's why I'm so interested to hear. You know, from what your, happened from next, your perspective, kind of, you know, what your transition was like. You guys want to hear what happened next. That's what happens. I'm getting all the juicy stuff. Yeah, from, you're getting, yeah. You're getting Dude, the juicy stuff. Dude, we're keeping <laughs> this I'm trying episode. to avoid it, guys. And you're just like, you guys trying to pinpoint it, man. You guys got me in a corner. But yeah. We're making uh, this episode raw tonight. I didn't shut it straight, off to pour straight alcohol. Straight raw dog. Straight alcohol raw dog. 80, <laughs> 80 proof. I love it. Okay, so let's, 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 let's get into it. Okay, so... Uh, when I came back, I was, uh, I, you know, I don't want to say when I came back. It's just when I, you know, I, I was making the wrong decisions in life. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously, it was, they weren't healthy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, shit happens, you know. And I kept running. I kept, uh, I, I was doing the same pattern over again. Mm -hmm. Over and over again. It was I was not changing my behavior. I <laughs> I kept, uh, I thought I was doing the right thing, but you know, it is what it is. And I, I, I ran it, you know, eventually you're gonna, you're, you're gonna, no matter how, how cool your past was, a civilian law enforcement is gonna say, you know what, dude, this is reality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to me. It hit me in the face and they said, hey, uh, Joe, you're gonna go to court now. You're in a program, you're going to treatment. And we and then the treatment was called Veterans Treatment Veterans Treatment Court, mm -hmm. VTC, and uh, yeah, man, that's where I had the experience with the judge. And you guys remember, mm -hmm. you guys have this story. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you guys don't want me to talk about it. Huh? You don't need to t talk about the whole thing, but maybe you could uh, do a quick <laughs> recap because people can also look up, I, I guess, the the story because yeah. they they did a a news uh, we, segment. We, we on can it. link it too. Yeah, if, if we no, want. No, I'm to. not afraid to talk. About Okay. You know, I'm not. I'm, I'm okay to talk about it. Okay, it's not. Yeah, it's I mean, not, if you want to touch on it lightly, I don't think we need to. You know, I just don't want to bore you guys. You guys like go together to sleep. No, 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 no. We've got all night. Are you guys interested? No, yeah, I'm, I'm oh, looking it up no, right now. Bo was like, all of a sudden, Bo wants to hear it. Man. Yeah. Well, I was eating dinner, dinner earlier. <laughs> I was paying attention to my food. Now I'm all liquored up. <laughs> okay. He got me all warmed up now. <laughs> all right, he's all koozie now. So, so, um, uh, did, I think I. I shared this story earlier with you, bro. Mm -hmm. And uh, no, it was uh, I, I, I got, I got in trouble, and so I, I, I finally had to see the, the judge. Now, now, are you, are you gonna stop me, boy, if I keep repeating myself? No, no, no. This is the first time you heard about. This is for it? everyone to hear it for the first time. Yeah, really? this is it, new for everybody. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. God, I'm sweating again. <laughs> you want my face, man? You guys are good, <laughs> dude. For real, you guys, I, I, I think I told you about this before, you, but. I want to hear it for the first time. Ah, uh, damn, Dan. <laughs> Dan, sorry. Yeah. Bo. All right, let's do it. 
All right. So, so I, I, I got in trouble with the law and, and I, and, uh, the judge sentenced me to a day in jail. And I think at this time it was like, I, I wasn't really worried about, I didn't understand, I didn't really understand the court system mm-hmm. and I didn't understand what probation was, mm-hmm. what I had to do to follow on. I just said, okay, I'll just go to court and if I mess up, I mess up. And, and, uh, so punishment was like, Hey, you messed up. You, you, you know, you violated probation. You can go to jail for a day or whatever, you know? And I wasn't used to jail at the time. At the time, hmm. it's not like I'm a pro. <laughs> I said at the time, so I went, so I went, I went in and um, uh, I reported to jail. And dude, it feels like I'm telling this story again. Dude. You guys heard it already, so this is the first time. Like it's the first time. Yeah, it's yeah. the first time for real. First time. These guys, man, man I try to back out of the story, and you guys are trying to. We're putting you through the ringer. Because it's an interesting story. You guys are tough. Okay, so so I go. I, I um, so I report to jail, and I I uh, I walk into the count the Cumberland County Jail, and and uh, to report to the to the deputy that's sitting at the front desk, and off to my left I see the judge, and I kind of look at him. He looks at me, and I said, "What are you doing?" He looks at me and says, come over here. And I said, no. I said, uh-uh, I ain't going over there. There's some plot, right? <laughs> I said, I'm not going over there. And I look at the deputy to help me out. I'm like, hey. It's like, hey, deputy. It's like, sir, man, I can't. I got to go through the metal detector, man. I can't go over there. And he's like, that's the judge. You're going. Mm. And I'm like, okay. So I, 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 I don't pass go. I went straight around. And the judge was like, let's go outside. And I'm like, okay, let's go outside. And and we walk outside and we go up to his SUV and he stops at the back of his SUV. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he opens the trunk of his SUV and he has a second plate. (laughs) I said, I said, man, you got two plates? He's like, yeah. And he closes it. He throws, he, he has a magnet license plate. He throws back on his plate. I had no idea that they have those. Nobody knows. No, it's, it's called the J plate. Nobody knows. That's why we <laughs> never catch the guy. Yeah. It's, either, it's either the judge plate or I'm the jealous plate. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's both. It's both. Yeah. So, so, so he slaps the J plate on his, on his, on the back of it, on the back of his car. And, and he's like, jump inside. And then he's like, Joe, where's your medicine? And I'm like, they're in my pocket. He's like, okay, put him under the seat. And I'm like, okay. And so now you got to remember from Cumberland County to South Carolina, to to where we're going mm-hmm. is an hour drive on I-95. This is in South Carolina? No, it's in North Carolina. North Carolina, excuse yeah. me, okay. I mean, we're going to be wide open now. Yeah. I mean, there's no backcountry road. There's like, you're jumping on this road. And we're cruising. Yeah. Quite mm-hmm. a thing, right? So we jump on, on 95 and we start heading south. And remember, man, I got a virgin mind, right? Really young, 
you know, I'm not really young. But, and I'm like, man, where are we going? And I start acting like I'm crying. Really sensitive. A sympathy. Sympathy. A sympathy like tear. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, and he's like, shut up. And I'm like, and I dust myself off like a big boy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm a man. <laughs> I'm a man, man, you know? And so so we start heading down down uh, 95, and uh, we get to Lumberton. It's just a city right outside of um, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Just It's just North Carolina. And and, and then, uh, and then uh, you guys want to hear the rest of this stuff? Mm-hmm. He's like, yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, God, man, I'm still sweating. All right, so we we so he he jumps out the car, and I'm sitting in the car at the Cumberland County parking lot. I'm not Cumberland County, excuse me, Robinson County. And we pull up to this jail. I mean, these fences are all ugly and shit. And I was like, mm-hmm. dude, what are we doing here? I don't even know. I'm in. The, I didn't even know I was another county jail. I, I I didn't know where I was at. It looked like prison. Robinson County is pretty dirty. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 so we park at the Robinson County, and remember my my drugs are, <laughs> my drugs in the under the seat, right? Prescription drugs. So, <laughs> so we 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 pull up, and he's like, Joe, just sit here, right? And I'm like, where am I gonna go? Yeah. And so he runs aside. He takes about ten minutes. It's the longest ten minutes of my life, for real. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the longest ten minutes of my life, man. And I'm sitting there, I'm waiting, and I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm like, how many prescription drugs should I take right now because I'm so nervous? <laughs> <laughs> should I just do it now? Because <laughs> I'm looking behind me, man, and these fences are all, these fences are all messed up. I'm like, oh, damn, where am I at? About to get hurt. About to get hurt. <laughs> Let me get feel good if I'm going to get hurt. <laughs> right? So I, so I, so he, I walk into the, um. I walk into, like, I didn't even go to him processing. Like, I didn't even go to him processing. I went straight. I don't even know how I got there, but I went straight to the deputy warden's office. And we go in, man, and I sit down. And right now in front of me, I have the deputy warden. To my left, I have the judge. Dude, and this woman is decked out, bro. It's pretty. Mm-hmm. Every plaque's on the wall big massive desk mm-hmm. and i'm like dude i'm in jail what am i doing here <laughs> right and uh but i take my medication right i take mm-hmm. my medication and the judge is like looking at me and i don't know we might have been there about five minutes and i don't i don't know if if i don't even know you know i don't know what the conversation was about mm-hmm. i just know I'm high, and it started to kick in, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Oh shoes!" I'm like, "Dude, this <laughs> is a bad time for this is not in. a good time." My dad's right here, kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I look over him, and I always get a reference, but I, I look over at him, man, and dude, his face starts like going oblong, like it starts mounting, and I'm like, "Oh man, dude!" I'm like, "Oh dude, this is not good." Mm-hmm. I'm like. I'm gonna be here in the county, and they're gonna, I'm gonna get more charges. You know, <laughs> you know, I start getting really nervous. Oh yeah, yeah. I start get, dude. I start pending cases on me. <laughs> oh, I'm like, hey, Joe, you got one charge. Now you got this charge. I start putting cases on me, bro. I was guilty before I even went to jail. 
Yeah, I started putting two or three cases on me, man. I don't even know where it came from. I'm sure in the back of your mind, because I, I would have been thinking the same thing. Is like, man, they're about to just say that I stole the car, that I like forced the judge to take me, take him here, and I'm on that drugs. I'm, I broke out of the handcuffs. And Hell, across I'm the state drugs, line, and I'm across state lines. They're gonna put it all on me right now, dude. I'm pinned, dude. I yeah. was done. Jeez. Yeah. So, so I'm thinking this, man, and, and then they said, and, and the judge was like, "Are you okay?" And I said, uh, yeah. And he's like, are you nervous? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I already told you, I'm like looking at him and he did the Friday thing. He was like, smoky. <laughs> and I'm like, oh shoot, man. <laughs> Dude, I'm like seriously getting messed. So they, they finally released me. And I, and I, you know, I, and I took a, you know, it, it took, <laughs> so finally I am processed. And, uh, I get back to West Cell, which they threw me in the hole. Mm. I don't know why they threw me in the hole. You know, I was, uh, they should have put me in, in uh, open population, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? But no, they put me in the hole. So I knew something was wrong. And they put you in alone. Yeah, they put me in alone. Like, yeah. And I heard people yelling and stuff like this, screaming. I'm like, dude, I just, I pissed hot for alcohol, right? Yeah. I'm like, dude, what am I doing down here? Mm -hmm. So they threw me in a hole, and, and uh, it was a single bunk. Had a shower, had a um, had one shower, had a, a, a toilet and all that little desk. And I'm sitting there, man. And I'm like, at this time, I'm like, dude, whatever happens, happens. I'm here for twelve hours. Mm -hmm. Judge said it. Yeah, yeah. I'm here for hour, twelve hours. Twenty four in, in in the prison world, like when you say you got. 30 years, really 15 years. You cut everything in half. Yeah. Mm. So I got 12 hours. So they say 24 hours, I got 12 hours. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and the um I hear the I hear the door rattle. Uh, you know, and I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm I just get here. I'm sitting here and I'm like, dude, what what else do they want from me? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, you know, it's everything's in my head is weird. Everything I thought about the legal system just flipped, mm -hmm. right? I mean, think about it, dude. You yeah. go to jail and then you go and do all the crazy stuff. So I'm like, whatever. And then I see these a group of of corrections officers, and they come in the they come and rush in the room. I'm like, what are you what are you doing here, guys? And then, and then I see behind them, I see the judge, and the judge has a bedroll, and then he has two plates. Uh, to trace mm. and I said um okay well I said I said I, I invited him come on in like it's my house yeah I don't know what else to say kind of weird come on in guys <laughs> yeah hey, welcome in this welcome is my in. kitchen this is, this is my kitchen <laughs> this is the bathroom this is the shower make yourself at home this is a correctional cribs <laughs> it's an open floor layout correctional cribs <laughs> so 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 that's what happened so so he comes in he they close the door man and and uh i said jess what are you doing here he's like uh i'm gonna stay the night i'm like what do you mean gonna stay the night i say you gotta stay the night like right here he's like yeah i'm gonna stay the night i said judge just one bunk a single bunk he, he's like well i got a bedroom i'm gonna be on the ground Mm -hmm. I'm like, then man, get me all nervous again talking about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's like, you know, he's like, I, I, I'll sleep on the ground, and, you know. And then of course, I got to be the polite way and just say, you know, I'm not gonna, 
I'm not gonna sleep on that. You know, we going back and forth, mm-hmm. and, and I just shut down and act like I don't know him. And and then halfway, you know, halfway through the night, I, you know, we start warming up. Mm-hmm. Like, what's up? What's up? What's your name? What's your name? <laughs> he like, what's your name, bro? Come on, bro. And, and then he starts banging on the door like an inmate. And I'm like, Judge, we're only here for 12 hours. Don't bring the attention to us. Yeah, you need to cool your shit. <laughs> cool down, bro. Before this turns into me being in here for a year. Yeah, cool. I said, yeah. cool down, man. He's like, don't call me Judge. Call me Sally. <laughs> and, and I'm like, Sally? Yeah, of course, you know, whatever it is. So anyway, but um, yeah, so we didn't, we, you know, we didn't chop it up that much. We, mm. I just, I kind of, you know, we just like hung out for a little bit. And uh, I'll tell you one thing though, you know, on news, he said he ate some food. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, I think, uh, no, you know what? I, it was, I keep saying it's lasagna, but I think it was meatloaf. Mm-hmm. He said he had meatloaf and he's like, you know, on the, on the, he's like on TV, he's like, oh yeah, we had meatloaf and we ate meat. He didn't eat meatloaf, bro. He flushed that shit. <laughs> Jeez. I wonder why he stayed the night there. I, you know, I, I think, I would imagine his intent, right, is to to try and connect on a human level like we were just talking about. Like, yeah. you know, trying to be like, you know what, I can, I could literally be in your shoes right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that was potentially his intent. I don't know. Yeah. But like, you know what I mean? Just trying to show that this could happen to anybody. Yeah. I um I don't you know I I I know that uh what he did is more than what the judges would do. I mean yeah. you you wouldn't they, you're not going to find. It made national news. Yeah. So it, it he he you know you don't you don't see a normal judge do that. If it was for a veteran reason, if it was for a veteran reason. Mm-hmm. To support veterans. Yeah. Mm, gotcha. I'm curious to hear about, uh, I want to move forward and hear about kind of how you guys got connected because I know a little bit about it, but I want to hear more about how you, Dan, and Joe, how you guys came yeah. together with, you know, veteran organizations. Dude, I want to hear your voice more. You know, you're sexy. You that deep voice. <laughs> hey, I want to hear about it. <laughs> I want to hear about it. Um, Dan, yeah, how, how did you connect with F60, brother? Dude, uh, so such a strange and random thing. So I... Uh, one of the guys that mutually we know, but I served with, um, Jordan Hillstrom, he's mm-hmm. got his own podcast uh, called Driving Loaded. And uh, Jason Van Camp came on the podcast and he was talking about Mission Six Zero and Warrior Rising. So after he talked about it, I was like, man, that sounds like an awesome organization. And I ended up connecting with him on LinkedIn. And then I saw some of the things they were doing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, this is pretty incredible stuff. Well, internally with my company, um, I was in the process of trying to develop a leadership development course. Yeah, I remember that. And uh, and so my first thought came to mind is like, let's see what Mission Six Zero could do. Dude, your boss is hella smart. Yeah. yeah. And they're in- incredible. Like both yeah. of the, the presidents, like the fact that they decided to go with this was already kind of really cool. Yeah. So I reached out to Jason um, and we talked on the phone, you know, for a half hour about kind of what we wanted to do and everything and and uh 
from there, that, the, the rest is kind of history. We've talked about it in previous episodes on this podcast, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. some of the things. And we'll, we'll talk about it some more because I, I want to tell a, a funny vignette about it. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that's how we kind of got connected. But I want to know how you got started with Mission 60 because I know a lot of the people that Jason has connected with, you know, he talks about it in the book is how he, uh, in his book, how he got connected with kind of each veteran and, yep. and how they told the story. So I was hoping you could tell yours. Yeah, no, how Jason and I yeah. we got together. Mm-hmm. Again. No, so Jason and I were, um, it, it's, it's uh, towards the end of my career mm-hmm. when I was working in a, uh, in the OSW. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a, so we won't get into that. It's really, you know, that kind of the position I was in when I was, I was working. Mm-hmm. Um, by that time, he also was kind of getting ready to retire himself Mm -hmm. and so he came from 10th group which is in fort carson colorado yep and i and i was in seventh group so but we came together at uh uh uh, united states special forces command Mm. and so we were both doing office work and uh you know he didn't i didn't really connect with jason until we went out to the oakland raiders Really? Yeah, I didn't mm. really connect with them. So when I went to um, when I went out to the Oakland Raiders, we were we had two days of training. The first day was all head coaches and coaching staff. The second day was players mm-hmm. and whoever. Mm-hmm. And so the first day uh, we went out there, and part of our lanes was we had ambush lanes. At the end of each lane. We had a wounded warrior. Mm-hmm. So say, so the ambush lane or say we got hit with an IED. Afterwards, they had an impactful story, mm-hmm. which was totally cool, man. I don't know how they came up with this idea. Mm-hmm. But I was I was one of the lanes. I was I was the story at the end of one of the lanes. Mm-hmm. And um, I told the story about uh, the Russian Turk. Yeah, mm-hmm. I told that exact story mm-hmm. to the Raiders head coach, and they were like, "Hey, tomorrow, take that same story and tell the Raider players, mm-hmm. tell the Raiders, the players." And so I was like, "Man, I don't. I just I gave you an AAR. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a professional. I can't get up here and just talk to the Raiders." And so the next day, uh, my partner was like, uh, told Jason, Jason, hey, this guy, he's going to tell you a story. And he, they, want, they want this guy to tell the story. And Jason came to me about it. He's like, Joe, uh, I, want, I want you to tell your story. Yeah. And so um, that's how we connected. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, that's how we connected. He was like, "Hey, man, tell your story." So that's how we connected off that off the Oakland Raiders. Mm-hmm. So how did how did that group get out there to the Oakland Raiders and and what was that so for? So Jason, Jason Jason was already so Jason's always forward thinking. Mm-hmm. So Jason right now he's probably three steps ahead of everybody else. Yeah, yeah. So Jason before he got out of the military he was thinking about Mission Six Zero. Back then it was called um, before it was, it was called Mission Essential. Mm. Okay. And then there was a patent law or something like that. We had to change the name. But Jason, it was the name of the company. The original name of the company was uh, Mission Essential. I like, I like Mission Six Zero better. Yeah. 
So it, yeah, it was mission. It was mission essential. Yeah. And so this is about seven seven years ago, and uh, that's where we connected. But over time, I think there was some kind of patent law or something like that. Somebody else had the rights to uh, mm. mission essential, so he changed it to mission six zero. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Crazy story. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And uh, mission six zero does a bunch of things like that. Have you been out to several more events, kind of like that? So I did. I did. Uh, I, I did. So we fly out to Utah. Mm-hmm. And we do a bunch of stuff with mm-hmm. some other some some other corporations, and I also worked with um, the Denver Broncos. Nice, that's yeah, cool. And I did I did Carolina Panthers, and uh, now now that uh, we're doing some uh, I don't know if you heard of uh, uh, um, the Deliberate Comfort Challenge. Yep, yep. So we're doing videos. So after the after the the Deliberate Discomfort Challenge. There's there's extra training, mm-hmm. and uh, this is what we're doing now. We're do, we're doing video shoots for that after 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 they complete that the cha- the sixty day challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's additional training. Can we lightly touch on what that sixty day challenge for people that are listening? Like what that you don't have to have all the challenges, but just kind of an idea. Uh, Dan of- probably knows. It's uh it's a pretty intense challenge. So I I think it, it hits on the physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, mm-hmm. and I'm missing one more social. Pillow, social. Mm. And uh each day of the deliberate discomfort challenge, there's uh like a meditation you have to do, a workout you have to do, a connection to somebody you haven't talked to in a long time, like reconnect with somebody, uh social where you reach out and like post something on your social media or something along those lines yeah you talk to somebody i know it's a tough challenge and And i think it's even like dietary restrictions too there is working out eating better yep and then that's uh, physical part too that's cool reading reading a book i think one book a week or something like that yeah yeah so it's it's an intense challenge or two months two months yeah Yeah. this is every day yeah yeah so you know i was i i was gonna i was gonna i was gonna get involved with the we call it DDC for sure. Yeah. And uh, because it started uh, January 1st of this mm-hmm. year, but old Joe broke his leg. It's gonna be, yeah. Maybe that's, it's a, a that's a good reason. That, that is the sun. <laughs> I hate reading. So to, to kind of fast forward then, how did you guys kind of get involved? Okay. So yeah. Uh, so I reached out to Jason. Jason um, put together a team because the idea that we came up with, because of COVID, we needed to do something virtual. And, uh, and it wasn't because of mission six zero, they would have figured something out to do in person. But as a company, we couldn't like, we already had policies in place to where we couldn't meet in policies person. Everything, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, so we decided we needed to do something virtual. We were talking about a bunch of different ideas and it was to a lot of credit of the, uh, of the president. He was the one who first had the idea of potentially doing something in VR. He didn't know what it was, but he was like, Maybe we could do something in VR. An engineer don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. So he was like, maybe we could do something like that. And then me and him started talking. And the idea, I, the idea just exploded of what it could be. Right. And then we talked to Jason and presented like, what if we have these breakout sessions where we have former special operations, special forces people train people, train like people in my company, different tactics and techniques and procedures at a base level for leadership skills for leadership skills just to get the idea of the the big things are like communication teamwork uh feeling for each other um 
you know, all those different things. And so, uh, Joe was one of the, one of the trainers and I was, did it, I do a good job though? Oh, absolutely. Dude, dude. you saved me a bunch of times. Dan. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to talk about this. So Dan saved well, me. Was he going to throw up or Dan, what? Dan, oh, Dan yeah. is a true ranger. <laughs> so first of all, I had an incredible time with Joe. He, uh, like, I loved it because you were you were so in it. You were like dead in it. Was like this is like I just received a bunch of privates and we got to get them up to speed. Like they're going to combat tomorrow. <laughs> oh man, don't tell me the bad news. No, no, no this is not the bad news. No, no, this is oh, good. Shit. Like I loved it. The, yeah. I loved every part of it because I Did was you like, really? oh yeah, absolutely. I got so fired up. The people that were in my group, or like in our group, yeah, got so fired up. We, I mean, we still talk about it today. Like Dan's anytime we talk, like they they loved it, dude. Give me the bad news, bro. Uh, I'll give you the funny news. It wasn't necessarily bad news. Is I think there was probably what do you think maybe three occasions where <laughs> you had you came up to me multiple times because we were standing next to each other. I'm glad you came to the office because this wouldn't have been possible if you weren't in the office. Oh, but uh, uh <laughs> multiple times is like, hey, bro, it's getting to me. He's like, I got, I got to take a knee, drink water, and face out. Oh, get this shit, dude. It gets me. It get. I went on it like one time. <laughs> that that virtual reality shit gets me dizzy. That <laughs> that I was feeling so bad. <laughs> And what was hilarious is there was only one time where they where they picked up on it because it, two of the times it was pretty seamless. Like they did, they had no idea you stepped away. But there was one time where I was like kind of having a, a long lull, and I was like, I was like, oh yeah, jo- Joe's has to go do something with his headset or whatever. And because because somebody saw you just kind of like stuck, you know, because you could tell you took off yeah. the headset, yeah. so you're just like stuck in the corner somewhere, and they were like. Where did he go? I was like, oh, he's. I think he's having problems with the headset or something. <laughs> I was so glad that you. I'm, I'm not not that not that you had a, you had a, your leg was messed up, so you couldn't yeah. you couldn't walk anywhere. No, and I knew that. Yeah, and I'm like, man, when I get sick, he ain't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to him, and I and I didn't know that if I took my head off my headset off, that I'd still be in the game, not yeah. moving. It, dude, there was a time when I'm like, dude, this is my road's messed up. <laughs> and I seen you over there, yeah. and I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I was going to, and I'm like, come on, Ranger Dan, help me out. <laughs> well, those things like mess with you because I try to hear, uh, you know, at Dan's house, I put it on, and I was barely in it like for 20 minutes, if that, 15 minutes. But even just like when you have to go upstairs or go down, oh, that's when it or you have to take steps, up and down. Yeah. it trips you out to where you feel like you're actually moving up steps, but your body is still in real time. Yeah. So it got me kind of motion sickness. And when I took it, I had to take it off for a second because I was like, I'm starting to feel that like queasy kind of feeling. Dude, you, do, do you ever like, do you really feel like, uh, like the emotions, like when you walk upstairs, you're walking upstairs. I, I felt it in that. Yeah. yeah. You like scared of heights or something like that. Yeah, well, see, I'm sensitive to that shit. Like, it, like even car sickness. If I sit in the back seat and I'm looking down at my phone and the car's going through turns, going up a mountain, yeah. I'll get freaking sick from that. Yeah. So I knew just being in that, you know, maybe it's a it's an adaptive thing. Like the more you're on it, I'm a, I'm I'm assuming you get used to it. But it's just that first time of being on it where I was like, yeah, yeah that shit's intense. Yeah, yeah, dad left. Uh, so Dan's I, a pro. I figured, he can sit on those things. Well, I, I figured Dan, it out. Do you play that? You no, play? no, I, I still don't actually. I think I've played one time since that conference, and that's it. Mm. Um, I've actually been asked multiple times by people in the office to like continue training, Jeez. and 
I would, but I, honestly, I, I'm I'm very very busy, so I don't have time. But you're not that busy. Are you really busy? Yeah, dude, you can ask. Both. Yeah, uh, we're incredibly busy right with now with this book and yeah. with everything yeah. else. It's every day. Yeah, ten hour days. Plus, when, when are we gonna go to the book? I want to talk about the book because I, I I like I I gave so much of my soul, and now I just gotta hear about this book now. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about it now. Uh, I know we we hit on it a little bit earlier. Um, kind of the stories we're sharing and and how different they are. Yeah, but there's like Bo said, there's there's a theme, right? Yeah, and and the theme behind it is is that it doesn't matter what is different about your experience. Everybody's transition has been totally the same. Different. Yeah. Well, different different is. In regards to like the pieces are different, mm -hmm. but the path has been the same. Like it, it was difficult. It took was them time. difficult. It was the readjustment. It was the finding the next job. It was the uh, getting acquainted to going to school again. It was the pushing off your military experience so people didn't see it on you. Like did, did, those types of things. Was that like a bad reflection on you, or you think like that that you were proud of that part? Absolutely, because I, I I was because when I went back to college, mm -hmm. I thought about that too. I thought maybe they're giving me a grade because I did, you know, because I did serve. Maybe they're not giving me a grade because I'm, you know, of yeah. what I bring as far as like my, uh, you know, scholastics. Yeah, but if if I if that's kind of that's kind of the, I don't want to say shroud. Yeah, but I want to say I don't I I I didn't want to to. To be given favors because I did serve, mm -hmm. yep. and I wanted to be treated like the next student when I went to college. Yeah, yeah, and that—that's the other theme. Is like we talked about it earlier. Is we had experiences in the military, but that doesn't make who we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, we are all humans, and we all have our own unique things about us. Yep. And to just label us as a veteran and to have certain stereotypes of whatever's in the movies or on the news or whatever is the wrong mindset to have when communicating with a veteran. And I, I had a different, a, a little bit different kind of mindset. My first two year, my first year in school, really, I held on to the veteran identity. Like I, I wore camo stuff. I don't know. Like I was, I was That's that good, typical one. Yeah. Yeah. But that second year and the remainder of my time in school, I pushed it all away. Like I didn't wear any Ranger stuff. What, I didn't, do you, what do you think that is like just the growth or i a lot of different things and i i don't want to say it was a mistake because it's, i've come back full circle and i've learned sure, for a lot too. from it um but i think the first thing was i just i realized that i am getting treated different when people know that i'm a veteran mm -hmm. and i didn't want that i wanted people to treat me like everybody else like all else equal yeah mm -hmm. yep. absolutely and so when I realized that I started taking off, you know, certain military memorabilia and stuff like that, like I was not easily identifiable anymore. Nobody knew I was a veteran. I was just like everybody else. Yeah. And so that's what I did is I blended in and I pushed off all of my military experience to a point where when I was leading the solar vehicle team, uh, which was a solar car racing team that I started up. I could have pulled so much experience and life lessons and everything from my military experience, but I didn't. And I definitely think it was a bit of a detriment to the team that I could have been a better leader for them 
if Good I would have cool used, mm-hmm. yeah, if I could have used those experiences to be like, you know, we shouldn't do this because I've done this and it was a mistake. And let me show you why. Yeah. And I didn't do that. That's pretty powerful. And then now you're working on a book. Now I'm coming back full circle. Here. Dude, that's kick ass. Yeah. So it kind of came back around. Yeah. And I think we've told most people that have listened kind of the initial what started the book and all that. And to be honest, there's a lot of updates, but we're kind of at the point right now where it's just design work. Yeah. So there's not really much to share in a sense of like when we go through the marketing phase in a month or two, there's a lot more to put out there. Oh, yeah. Like when we have the website up and we can actually start showing a lot of the designs. So you guys have, have you guys gone with the, the, the website yet? Or are you still building it's it? being built. Um, so we have our company website, but then the, the book website is being built. Yep. So okay. right now it's kind of like, like I was saying, we have probably five or six veterans left um, yeah. for the book. So we're right at the tail end of content creation. Mm-hmm. And then it's literally like being behind a computer every day, designing every single page. And that's kind of where we've been. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of back and forth, redesigning, getting stories sent to us, you know, from our writer. Yeah. It's kind of in a sense, like the building block phase, which does, yeah. it's not really that interesting. I don't think to a lot of people, because well, there's not much that you can share. It is kind of history. Yeah, it is. Really well, it, how it, you it's interesting yeah. because I, I think, you know, eventually we'll share kind of like w- why we, we had this vision for the book mm-hmm. and we, we've shared our why, like, why are we doing this book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you told me that yeah. initially. Yep. Yeah. But the, the vision of like how we've now built it out and like, in what order are we telling these veteran stories? all have a purpose behind it so did you figure out like is there like a sequence or did you just like there will be a sequence yeah so yeah and we and it's because and we could talk about this i think this is fine to talk about and tease a little is bit. we we want to oh bo don't want to tease he let me tell my story but then he <laughs> i like to. teasing we <laughs> we want the we want the book to be an immersive journey that people will stick with it and read all the stories and it'll it'll give you different emotional experiences for mm-hmm. each veteran story are, are you giving you're giving a snapshot of the veterans life or yeah each veterans experience, experience. yeah so yeah. so kind of what we're doing in this podcast where we, uh-huh. we we share a little bit of the military experience but we we lean probably 60 to 70 percent of the story is more about the transition and what are you doing now mm-hmm. and kind of sharing you as a person like what is your motto what is your mantra like what drives you to be who you are mm-hmm. and i remember you telling me you, you, yeah it's less of the victimization like poor me i'm a veteran and it's less of the typical you know badass war stories you know it's like i said you know each person in this book you know um men and women that are in it it, it's Mm kind of more you just don't even recognize in a sense that they're veterans like you have the deployment photos where you're like that makes sense like i can see when they looked younger and they're all kitted up or you know they're on a ship or they're in an airplane or whatever um but then you see them now at the portraits i'm taking and you're just like these look like normal people that i would see like in an office Mm -hmm. that i work with so that's what's kind of cool is it's more telling that you know untold story more of a motivational book to help other veterans that might be struggling with post-transition or they just want to be inspired again they want to have that connection and feel that that relation to other men and women that have been in their shoes and now have you know kind of in lack of a better term, turn their life around and become successful in their own sense. You know what's cool is that I I don't know if it was timing, mm-hmm. but it's the twenty year war. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I don't I don't know if it was timing when you told me that it, that it just came out. I think it all that, happened for a reason. For it came it out did. for a reason. Yeah. yeah, which was which is pretty amazing. Well, yeah. like like I said, I I might be repeating myself because we might have told a story, but 
like I moved out here in North Carolina and I got out here September, I think third. Mm-hmm. And I spent a month, a little over a month on the road, no less than two weeks of me being here. This conversation was being had about this book. Yeah. So between it, you two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't really? like I moved yeah. out here for a year and I was working a regular wow, job. And then it was like, this job wasn't working. It was like, I have no job. I moved out here for um, my second week living here. And then it was like, you know, it was kind of like me thinking of a way to give back to veterans and maybe do like a, a coffee tail book of landscapes for my trips. And then Dan kind of brought up the idea and was like, but you always took pictures. I always took photos and I wanted to create like an art book of my own, but then donate proceeds to a veteran organization. Now I don't know if that really makes sense, It does. but Dan was then like, I've been trying to find an excuse and a reason to get back to the veteran community, but for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And I like this idea of a book. Why don't we do a veteran photo book of portraits and stories from different veterans? And then we didn't even think about it. But we were like both on board immediately and we got all excited. And we were like, you know, thinking about different names on the background of it. Does it does it make that much sense to you guys? I mean, mm-hmm. like when you guys were when you guys were talking about it, did you guys even think that this was going to like an idea that was going to hatch? Or did you guys just look at each other and just like this is what we should do? I think it was a mix. So it was yeah. like we stumbled into it. We started the conversation. We mm-hmm. started having these ideas back and forth of what it could be. Uh-huh. And then it clicked like i think bo is getting here is like we we were having a conversation of like let's tell the stories you know and it's like you know we we're, we're coming up on 20 years of combat that's kind of crazy and then i was like the name came up right away and i was wow, like bro. i was like dude what if we just call it the 20 year war yeah and i was like it's been 20 years of combat it's america's longest it is uh, two decades yeah it's mm-hmm. the longest uh, america's longest conflict and i was like there have been so many lives impacted by this this needs to come out now and, and that's yeah. when we were like, this has to happen. And what's cool about it is even when we planned the name, it wasn't taken, which I was surprised about. Two, a book like this hasn't been done. Mm-hmm. And three, the kind of like to get the train rolling, you know, it was like once we started presenting the idea to just other veterans, then it like really snowballed. Then it was yeah. like we were getting in front of organizations. We got in front of generals. We got in front of like congressmen Did and senators. Did you guys talk to generals like all that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We got a few. So a few General involved. General Vitell's writing the forward. Vitell, yeah. Yeah. yeah Lieutenant General uh, Farader is uh, is um, in the book. He's a story in the book. He's a story in the book. So like we have a lot of people. This Okay. So let me, okay, I, we, I, you know, Bo and I were talking about this when we were here and he's probably knows how I feel about certain yeah, jobs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Bo, uh, what do you feel about SEALs? It's hard. <laughs> Go ahead. Not to call out. So here's the thing. Getting into this book, I'll go back a little bit. So getting into this book as a civilian, yeah. I went into it with the wrong mindset to where I was thinking of like, I'm not going to name call, but I was thinking of like bigger veteran companies, bigger veteran organizations, bigger veteran celebrities. And, and oh, hold on. Let's, let's not classify them as bigger. Let's classify them as more influential, more influential because there are big, there are big veteran organizations that do a lot of incredible work that impact a lot of lives. Correct. They're just not as influential. Correct. So basically, you know, cause I only see it through a certain scope for a civilian cause that's all I'm marketed. At. that's the that's those are the only people that i see i don't see like the everyday veteran um, besides dan you know and that's what kind of i think this book and everything was motivated by but anyways so dan was then correcting me like no we shouldn't go that route because they've been in the limelight they've been in the spotlight too much so to go into your question when we started talking about you know special operations guys 
and the typical that you see, I think what you're seeing, and I think even Navy SEALs who might be listening would agree that there's a sure. lot of Navy SEALs that when they get out, they're kind of under the spotlight because civilians praise them more than any other military force. And they should. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and you know, at the end of the day, they're all veterans and they all have fought and they've all done great things, but you're seeing kind of a pattern to where a lot of SEALs are coming out and writing books. And they're, I feel like they're being broadcasted more than other, you know, veteran books. So the civilians are kind of like being flooded with that market and then it's saturated. Exactly. So it's becoming oversaturated more in the civilian eyes. So when we went into it. We were thinking, you know, we want to make sure that we tell every branch's story and everyone's story, but we don't want to over flood it with like the typical Navy SEAL stories or the, or or the typical, you know, Green Beret. Yeah. Special board. operations. Like there's a lot of people that are in this book that were pilots that were truck drivers that were radio operators that were on a ship you know there's like all kinds of different mos oh so you focus more on the book is more it's it's it covers it covers different any any mos, MOS any branch jobs, any, yeah. any rank That's amazing any lengths of service and it's it's anybody who has been in support of the global war on terror can, can you give us a, a, a like a, a teaser like who who you got in there that you were like damn this is kind of I'm don't talk about me uh-huh. <laughs> just like man this is a you cool, were you were talks in the very early stages though. well no I'm, I'm yeah. looking for a I'm looking not me but I'm looking for a cool guy like can you throw a name out there like uh like whatever branch you think of like just like man that guy was amazing dude we can maybe do two well of like people that people would know or just in general just that in general cool. uh, uh, oh. just off your research okay and your 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 you know i think there's one that sticks out to me um and and he's he's not famous not at all it doesn't have to be famous yeah um to me aaron lowrich okay was an interesting story they all are but for me to hear about you know a, a guy that and i don't want to even go into i want people to read the book and find out his story but and his rank and where he was at but basically a guy who was, let's say, upper echelon of special operations, mm-hmm. um, served his country and, you know, was a combat medic and the war took a toll on him. And I hope I'm describing his story the right way. And it got him into drug abuse. Okay. So he was taking opioids because he's a combat medic. He's carrying a Pelican case everywhere he goes, yep. full of drugs to help other soldiers. He gets honorably or dishonorably discharged because of it. And I think that just hearing it from him, it's not the way that he wanted to go out. It's not the way that he wanted to remember his military career. And I could tell that it really weighed in on him. And he had a lot of other things going on with, you know, just family and, you know, his, his wife was going through multiple like brain operations for aneurysms. And there was just something so genuine and real Mm -hmm. about seeing the expression on his face and hearing his story that I feel like those kinds of stories aren't shared enough to where you're hearing the the success stories. Yeah. But to hear somebody talk about how, you know, he lived to fight for the country and be there um, was, and was let go of, and it's almost an embarrassment to him to where I look at it differently, but I can kind of understand maybe the, the feeling that he's going through. I don't know. It just was a story that really kind of, you connected with that. Story. I connected with it, and it stood out to me because, well, it's it, it's such an interesting thing. Like within special operations, is like you're you're, and this is in the army in general or military in general. But you're held to such a high standard that any slip up or whatever that you're caught for, 
you can be let go like that. And everything, all of your service can be more or less erased. It is true. And by being dishonorably discharged. And it's it's so incredibly unfortunate for it to happen to anybody, especially when it comes to something like that, like drugs and alcohol abuse, because there's so many different coping mechanisms. And I know drugs and alcohol are not necessarily the answer, but it's one that's but it's the path that a lot of us goes down. Exactly. And it's yeah. it and I've been there too. And you know, it's yeah. not it's not the one you want to go down, but mm-hmm. It's one that that door is is open for you to to walk into really easily. Super mm-hmm. easy. Yeah. And it shouldn't be something that is disgraced. You know what I mean? It should not be a mark on that person's life for the rest of their life. For all the good that they've it, done. Exactly. I feel like there should, should be a treatment be, for it. It yeah. should be, again, it's about the human and it's about recognizing their service and what they've done and then also recognizing them as a human. is like, they made a mistake, but that's okay everybody makes mistakes mm-hmm. let's move forward let's move forward and yeah. let's recognize the good in their past and now let's focus on what they're capable of doing now and figure because out a way to have, change you it. know veterans have a lot of potential absolutely 100 yep. percent potential yeah what do you yeah. think who do you think the person for you yeah, i mean ask dan yeah oh we'll put him on the spot here because oh that was boy. personally mine hey, but don't even look at me but i'm just <laughs> winking. I'm, wink- I'm winking <laughs> Um, don't say, you know, I, I was going to joke my friends right now. So I'm yeah. going to say Jeff Adams, but I love Jeff Adams. Jeff's a great guy. Yeah. Gonna, Jeff's incredible. I'll, I'll punch him in the head. Did, <laughs> did you want us to talk about big people we have or did you want to talk no, about just I want, you, I want okay, you to talk cool. about your biggest impact. Mm. Honestly, and I, I'm not being, oh, man. I think it, it's because it was so early and it was just an idea and after the conversation, I knew it 100% had to happen, is you. Oh, shit. And it's That's because- Yeah, you were talks early on. I talked, I think you were the first person I shared this idea with. You did. Uh, outside you did. of Bo and my mm-hmm. wife. Like, you, you, the concept, you share the concept. With yep. Me. And you know what? I didn't think you were going to do it, uh, Dan. And I think it was amazing that-, that I, I was surprised that you kept it forward. It was about what six months ago, maybe a year. No, it was uh, mm-hmm. October, I think, when we first talked. Yeah. So yeah, yeah I guess months. five five months ago. Yeah. yeah. Damn, that time has gone by fast. How you guys made it happen, dude? I know. So so it was it was well. So for many reasons, that first conversation with you and you being like, dude, absolutely, like this is the story that needs to be told. And then it wasn't very long after that. It was very, very close after that, that I read Jason's book and I read your story and I was like, holy shit, like this guy could be a lot of other things. He made me read it immediately. Yeah. I was like, he could be a lot of other things, but just for how humble and just nice, genuine guy you are, I was like, this is incredible. And then when we finally met in person and we had the the training and stuff like that, I was like, dude. Joe is Joe's the man. I was like, <laughs> Joe is the guy. Mm-hmm. And you can even ask Bo. Like, I came back like glowing, like talking about yeah. it and everything. And then Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, like honestly, man, you, for one, your story is incredible. Like, but I don't I don't I don't think people should realize who you are just from your story. They should realize who you are because of what you do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? How you carry yourself day yeah. in and day out and the conversation you can have, like the second somebody can talk to you, they could realize that you're genuine. I appreciate it. Yeah, that. And, and even it's hard for me even to say that there's you and Aaron, for examples, because 
everybody has such a unique story. So it's really hard for me to like, and these aren't even me picking favorites. It's just, I guess, ones that stood out. Yeah. You know, there's there's multiple that I can think of right now that that stand out. But I think what's cool is as I'm sitting behind a computer and designing these and reading the stories that Tom is creating based off the audio files that I'm recording, and then we're putting it together and I'm, you know, putting their um their deployment photos and and designing each page. I'm just like, it's interesting because there's like a almost a certain level of personality on each page. Everybody has, there's, there's yeah. a bunch of personalities. And that's what's kind of cool is it's yeah. like, it follows a theme. There's definitely a formula to each person's page where people kind of get the theme as they keep, you know, reading, but each page is unique to the design and the stories are what really separates each person. Even the photos, I mean, each photo is taken, you know, it's, it's raw. It, no, I know you take, I know, I noticed that you take headshots. So it, it's kind of like the breast above. Yeah. And, and a couple of them are full body. A couple of them have changed up, but I really mm -hmm. want to, I didn't want to do the same pose every time, but I want to focus more on the details of the face mm -hmm. and show like the emotion and Emotions. show like in that moment. Cause I mean, you know, every one of these people, you know, I may, maybe not, maybe they were models in their previous life. Who knows? But I can, uh, I'm cutting pretty good looking. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what I'm, it's I got funny. a little older, man. <laughs> it's it's like what I'm getting at is like even me. You know, I don't think a lot of them are comfortable in front of a camera. It's it's totally different. To can them. you see that in there when you're taking mm -hmm. pictures? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Like really? Yeah. I don't yeah. think they do. I see it to where to me, it's not awkward though. Like lack of a better term, it's kind of a beautiful thing to see because people because I snap angles. it and I can see them. You know, some people kind of flow with it. They just, they listen to direction and they'll kind of do their thing. But some people are like, I don't, what would I do? And I, I think it's just kind of cool to see that like, you're kind of catching people in a vulnerable state. It really yeah. is. But it's showing the emotion and it's showing that like, it's real. And then when I'm done, they're like, oh, that was it. And I'm like, yeah, it's just, I'm shooting film. It's pretty quick, but I'm taking my time with each photo. And I guess, you know, to go back and give Aaron an example, I, I think what really connected is that like, you know, he was showing me around, you know, his area that he lives in now, you know, on the East Coast. Um, I'm not going to say where, but it's basically like just in, in Georgia, you know, in general. But I was seeing like the coast and seeing like all the places that he goes to and gets coffee and the places that helped transform his life with him and his wife of why they wanted to move to the beach and just hearing those stories. Is, there, is Aaron is in the book? Is that he is? Aaron, Aaron yeah. Yeah. So he was. You know, just kind of show me around and, and basically being like, this is the beach we come to. That's where I kayak and, you know, I can go on camp on that island. And and uh, this is what saved my wife and I's life as being out here. That's amazing. It's just cool. And it's like, and I, I, it's hard to describe, but even going back to just, I can, I can picture the moment of him sitting on the beach where I took his photo and just, you know, he wanted to get different angles. He's like, does this look good? Does this look good? It's kind of, I feel weird, but it's cool to see that. And then look at the photo and like remember that moment. That's and it's even like you when I met up with you. you I know. was taking like I was like swag time. You're, you're like hobbling on one foot. <laughs> I'm hobbling on like, crutches. Taking my face picture right here, profile, and all that. Yeah, shit. I'm stupid. Huh? But some people, you know, I get closer up portraits. Some people, I back off. And there's no rhyme or reason. It, it's literally just in the moment. It's yeah. what I think looks good in that moment for each person. And um, well, I appreciate I'm, your work, brother. Yeah, it's I'm just nice. I'm hoping that. Uh, the book honors everybody the proper way. So far, it seems like everybody's pretty excited. Um, for the few stories we've sent back to a few veterans for approval, it seems like everybody's like, this is badass. This is cool. So we're excited to start actually pushing the marketing side, hopefully in the next month. 
um, yeah. and have the website up and and really start showing people like the designs and what it's going to look like. Yeah, dude, I'm I'm kind of excited to see the cover of it. Oh, we'll show you after we get off here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to see it. We'll do that. We'll show you. <laughs> and we'll show everybody else here yeah. soon too. I think we've already finalized the cover. Yeah, have you guys? Really? Yeah, all that's done. So I think we can probably Look start. Dan smiling. I've got a, it. I've got a minor edit. I'm sorry. Oh well, but it's pretty much final. It's, it's pretty much it's done. Pretty I got to edit again, apparently. <laughs> and then I think we'll probably start showing at least that. Yeah. Um, oh, it, now, are you going to put it on social media? Or yeah, something? I think I think you know showing a cover, showing a few inside pages once those are confirmed. Because the thing is, is the process. I never knew creating a book would have so many steps and and callbacks to where you got to keep going back and re-editing. But it's basically like you design like a rough draft and you do that like three or four times. And then it basically, it has to go through a final approval. The publisher is kind of like, it's up to you guys. It's a photo book. You guys decide what you want, but it's all about like, you know, margins and having the text the right size and printing it like on, on cheap printer paper and yeah. laying it out in front of you to kind of guess an idea of what it's going to look like. So it's yeah. a super learning curve, super yeah. learning curve. And yeah. it's the first one we've tackled. So we want to make sure we do it the right way because we, you know, we have plans for a second book after this and. Oh, oh wait a minute. I didn't know about this mm-hmm. one guys. We have a lot of ideas. So we don't want to, we don't want <laughs> to talk about, we don't want to, we don't want to talk about them yet because we, there's a lot of different areas that this can go and yep. we have ideas of what it can do. And it's, it's honestly, depending on the success of this book will dictate what path we take. Dude, this is going to be a banger. Yeah. If the first one does really well, we have a, a pretty epic idea for a second one. Yeah. We'll Good. just say that. Yeah. So when we get off there, you going to tell me? Yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah. Okay, cool. I want to, <laughs> I want to kind of wrap up. Go I want to get ahead. into, um. You know, for someone like you that has such a an interesting and storied career, mm-hmm. what advice would you have for you know other veterans that are transitioning back into that civilian lifestyle? Like from your kind of knowledge and understanding of what that sure. was like and the difficult times you went through. Sure. You know, I, I think the hardest part was uh, putting the uniform down, and I didn't see the. I didn't see, I thought that I was the exceptions of policy mm-hmm. saying that, you know, it's not going to happen to me mm-hmm. and like, like I'm not going to miss the service. Mm-hmm. And because we think that, you know, when we're in, we're like, Hey, this, this, you know, when we get out, it defines us of who we are. Cause you got to think about it. We, you know, we spend four or five years, 19 years, whatever we do, we spend in the military. We uh, dedicate ourselves to our, our profession. Mm-hmm. And once we leave, we're like, you know what, we can do whatever we want to do. But mm-hmm. in the back of our mind, we never think about, we never think about, man, this is going to catch up to me because this is what really defined who I was. Mm-hmm. Now, if, 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 if we can, if, if, if a, a guy, uh, if a person, uh, you know, uh, ETS is PCS or retires from the military and they can say, you know what, man, I had a good time but I had my future planned for me already, you know, the transition is much easier. Mm-hmm. But if you wait for it to catch up to you and then you say, you know what, man, I, 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 I or, you know, even if we didn't get help, like if I said we get help, mm-hmm. they get me sweating again. <laughs> you know, this, uh, if, if, um, if I would've got, if so personally, if somebody said, uh, Joe, man, Get some help, man. This is not, you know, you step to the VA. Yeah. Veterans Affairs, VA. So go get your help, man. I, I probably would have had a different path. And I'm not 
embarrassed in my path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think the transition is the, is is not easier. It's not as easy as we think it is. Yeah. Because I think that our footsteps behind us define us forward. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I, you know, it's it, every 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 person has their own path. Mm-hmm. I know every path is crooked. But every path moves forward. What do you think are the first steps that you recommend then for, you know, other uh, veterans that are transitioning? You know, because I know there's not a rhyme or reason to it. I know that everybody has their own purpose and way of connection and finding their own path in the civilian. But if there's maybe a few steps that they should take first, what would that be? Happiness. Hmm. Happiness. Yeah. You, you, if If you're happy with yourself and you're content, and you made and when when you exit you know your service um and you can say you know what i did my best behind me is it's this is part of my life mm-hmm. and you're happy with your decision that's that's probably the best part you know if you get out of the military and say man did i make the right decision maybe you might need to stay in mm-hmm. or if you said i'm happy with my with my career i want to move forward you know, you can do so. I think it's all in the mindset. It's all yeah. in the mindset. It's all figuring out that whatever happened, happened for a reason. And um, I think it's just, I can imagine, you know, you got to kind of pull yourself together and, and figure out that like you can either live in a past and keep yourself in a dark place of whatever you've been through or the trauma you've experienced, or you can kind of try and hone in on what that is you and push past forward, it. Man. Yeah. Hey, there's, hey, this is my experience, man. There's no, there's no straightforward path. Mm-hmm. everything's crooked but as long as you're moving forward man i think you're going in the right direction yeah that's awesome well joe we really appreciate you being here in person um being a part of this podcast supporting this book and being a story in it that people can read you know here coming up on september 11th this year and it's just been great to actually have someone like you who has such an incredible story a military career all the things you've seen and been through and just to be able to openly talk about it and just have a smile on your face the whole time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I appreciate being here, guys. Yeah, I can't thank you enough.